we don't get annihilated down there anymore because we like watching the vendors that have never been in New Orleans test their metal against Bourbon Street because they all think they can conquer Bourbon Street and they're the ones that are sleeping under the table. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to From the Ground Up podcast. And we have a fundraiser going on right now in which the proceeds will go to the OCIC or the, you okay? Or basically will be used to propagate indigo snakes that will be being released in a few different sites in the Southeast through the, I believe it is, sorry, I should have written all this down, but. Um, you're looking at me like I know <laughs> anything you're talking about. So the OC, OCIC worked closely with the Orient Society as well as the Central Florida Zoo in order to propagate basically indigo snakes. And they on site have a large like outdoor enclosures and stuff like that in which they build for the indigos and they're working on bumping up their colony. So every shirt that you purchase will go towards building more outdoor enclosures for them as well as just aiding in the conservation of the indigo snake. And if you want to learn more about that, we had a whole podcast with Michelle Hoffman, who is the director of the OCIC. So I'd love if you guys would check it out and support them. Well, support us in supporting them to, you know, give some money to the OCIC. They'll be available for the full month of April, right? They will be available until April. F Wait a second. Is, it was right now, April? Okay, so May 1st. So <laughs> I think I'm going to cut it off at the end of April. So <laughs> there you go. The plan is serious. I, you can see I planned this out. The thing is that we needed to get, it took us like three months to get Michelle on. And then also there was a big Indigo paper that was released like the day before we had the show, which if a lot of you guys know Indigo stuff, they were... There was two papers that came out by one guy who basically said that they were going to be two different species, essentially. So the conservation aspect was getting really fuzzy. And then there was a rebuttal paper that said, here's what's going on. And there, it's one species. So we'll see what happens with that. But I thought it was interesting. And it was a good time to have her on to explain some of that confusion. And shirts around poorcitypythons.com. Great transition. <laughs> Forcedfathoms.com for that indigo shirt. It will be on our homepage. And so the shirts cost us a little over eight dollars to make, and they are a little over twenty bucks. So twelve of your doll hairs go directly there, and the rest goes to just cover the threads, and that's pretty much it. Um we don't have any well, we have one animal available, but I'm not exactly promoting it because So then just say we don't have any animals available. Well, if you want it, you can message me and ask us. Oh <laughs> that's how that's making, how I always sell the list. You're just making this intro real long. Uh thank you to Matt Minatola, Philly Herp. We went over and saw his collection. And and we saw Eric Burke's collection. <laughs> so Eric Burke obviously of Morelia Python Radio. 
and Owen hang, hung out as well, and we got some pizza. But it was awesome seeing uh, <laughs> you. You're not adding to that. I'm waiting for you to add to the conversation. I don't need to. It's already so long. We need you to can. reduce from this. Well, no, I was just saying thank you okay. to those guys. Thank for you guys so much. Out. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. And let's start this podcast for real. <laughs> Jesus, just trying to do a proper intro. It's only been three minutes. Calm. Okay. Calm yourself. <laughs> So everyone, thank you guys so much for being here. We have, whoa, I fucked that up, huh? We have Sean Gray of the Herbs Reptile Shows. You may have seen them all throughout the Southeast and even, I believe, going into the eh, middle of the country, Colorado and stuff like that. Yeah. Kansas City and Colorado Springs are, are you know, kind of our Western and Midwestern shows, yeah. So looking at your Facebook page, it seems like you're into warm-blooded animals as well. That's pretty much the majority of what I found trying to look for a cover photo. Yeah, um, actually, we have um, we we're dog we're, we're dog people, but um, we've we've uh, we used to have a chinchilla rescue, and 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 uh, we took a lot of the stuff from the global exotics raid and and rehomed a ton of chinchillas during that time. But um, we have a lot of friends that have mammals and keep mammals that as well keep reptiles, so. Every chance we get to go check out their places, we always get photos with benturongs and lemurs and, you know, really cool stuff. Guatemundis and things like that. So but. I've seen, at least on social media, that you guys have had some of those at your shows as well. Yeah, um, a, a few of our educational people that like um, Ari at Safari Tales, she has an amazing facility in Mississippi and she comes to our Slidell and New Orleans shows and she brings kangaroos and wallabies and so it, it's a um it's really cool to have some of that there too as well you know we have the reptiles they have reptiles too they bring in reptiles and invertebrates and her whole thing is uh, love the unloved and she wears these shirts that say love the unloved and she does talks for us where she introduces kids to like tarantulas and scorpions and stuff that i'm even worried about handling and she just walks up to these like four-year-old girls and throws them in her hands and they're in love you know so um it's it's kind of a crossover. People get to see all the fuzzy furry things, but then they get to they get an intro into some of the really cool reptile species that we have. So I know that you used to breed leopard geckos. So first question, yeah. do you still breed leopard geckos? And then also, is that kind of how you got into reptiles in general? Um, actually, that's too the, the, the I, I don't breed leopard geckos anymore. I have a few left. Um, I had a very, very large collection at one time. Um, now that I'm doing the shows, I, I downsized before I started doing this many shows um, and um, focused on what we were doing. I still have a few pet only um, animals, but um, as far as how I got into reptiles, I grew up in South Texas. I grew up, it's basically Eastern Louisiana on, or Western Louisiana, honestly. So <clears throat> I was always out catching things and my grandfather had this big piece of property and I built this huge screen cage for green anoles and around a tree and started catching green anoles and letting them breed and then releasing them and generation after generation. And that was years and years and years ago. And then um, I slowly started getting back into it, um, you know, a, a, a while, while back. And leopard geckos was one of the, was one of the ones, it was one of the things that one of my, my really, my daughters are 16 now, I have twin girls, but one of their, one of their first pets was a leopard gecko. And then we started doing more research and started talking to people and we got really involved into it. And one time we were producing almost a thousand a year. Um, 
but and that's like and that's both of my wife and I working full time and you know trying to do something else. So um, now we have maybe ten leopard geckos, but I have a lot of other weird, cool species too. So, so what kind of made you take the leap and say, "Hey, I want to do reptile shows"? Um, we had been vending shows for so long, and um, we were sitting at these shows, and they were just dead like you had some good shows there were still some good shows going on and i'm not saying that there aren't good shows i'm just saying that the fun was gone like it was a routine it was more of a job for us to get done with work i was working nights at one time and i was getting off at you know one o'clock in the morning or working second shift getting off at one o'clock in the morning going home on you know saturday morning early packing leopard geckos waking my wife up driving four hours setting up for a show doing a show all day you know, the whole weekend and it just seemed like it was just in we were in this routine um <clears throat> nobody was doing anything as far as major advertising or anything like that or or trying to bring something new to reptile shows they were all the same thing it doesn't matter it didn't matter what show i stepped into it was the same thing come in set up answer all these people's questions all day long and go home and watch the show promoters count their money that was pretty much how it was. And it, we came up with the idea and my wife and I tinkered around with it in like 2013, talked about it. And then 2014 started putting a plan together. And then we opened our first show in Conroe 2015. And it's been a roller coaster ride since then. So, so where was your first show? Where'd you start off? It was in Conroe. It was in Conroe, Texas, North of Houston. Um, and we had, 90 tables i think at that first show um not a huge amount of support we had you know vendors that we thought would do it um and uh you know we had a we had a really good turnout and and um <clears throat> people were happy with it the way it was run the way it was organized and it's grown leaps and bounds since then but that was our that's our still our flagship that's our largest show now and now it's 200 tables of vendors plus and it's five, 6,000 people through the door in a weekend. And it's a huge, there's Houston is a huge community and we're barely even scratching the surface right now. That's crazy. So how do you even go about putting on a reptile show? I have no idea how it even works. <laughs> that is the hardest fucking question. I've ever <laughs> because it, it's a learn, it's been a learning process and we're still learning. Like this will be our fifth year putting on shows and having to find the venue book the venue the insurance the getting the vendors convinced figuring out what you're going to charge for tables you're, i mean it's there's just <clears throat> there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people who on the outside think oh we just go in and show promoters going to go in throw some tables up open the doors and collect all these people's cash that's not that's not how we want to do it so we try to find really nice clean venues we spend more money on the venue than most people do for the whole weekend. Like on one day for the whole weekend that they do at their venues, we want to be in a nice areas, nice places so that whenever you walk in, if you walk into a, a horse stall, right, it's dirty, it's filthy. The animals could be in there, but if they're out running around these beautiful pastures, the animals look beautiful. When you, when you walk into a horse stall, they're dirty and filthy, right? So we want these nice, clean, nice convention centers to change it so that, it, it gave the the feeling when you walked in that this is a nice, clean environment. You're not going to have to worry about sick or dirty animals here. Uh, it's not a barn. And so we spend more money with that. 
Um, we don't try to gouge our vendors on tables. We, we're always in the hole when we open the doors and we spend a lot on advertising. But things add up really quickly, like we pay per table per day, per chair per day. We pay $100 for a microphone for one day. We pay $50 for a piece of pipe and drape that's eight foot. I mean, it, it adds up so quickly. So, And it's just my wife and I that are doing this. Um, if you if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you finance the first show? Like, how did you have liquid money to spend uh, on? Actually, it was um, I was I was in a um, I had a partnership. Uh, we had a part I had a partner at the time, uh, Charlie Paskett. He he runs a tri-state reptile expo now that's been pretty successful um, out in the um, uh, Amarillo area. Um, <clears throat> and his mom actually loaned us the deposit, um, but we put every penny that we had. I think we drove to the first Conroe show. I my bank account was like negative four hundred dollars and i and i had a good job i mean i was i was working for peerville i was making thirty five dollars an hour maybe i uh, worked a lot of overtime to save up to put into it um and um but yeah i think you know charlie's mom had to loan us the money just for the deposit just for the whole deposit on the first first show ever do you know dear do you remember how much it is i'm just curious I'm sorry. How much her deposit was? yeah yeah Oh, I think the deposit then was only like 2500 but now the venue that we're in, Conroe, everything all included, I mean, it's it's up there. It's um, we, we pay for the whole venue now. We pay for the entire space because the show's grown so large. Nobody can use the side rooms anymore. Um, we're, we're getting close to the $20,000 range for a weekend. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's up there. Is Conroe the most expensive one out of all the places you do? Conroe and Stafford are our two most expensive. Yeah, they're they're up there. Um, they're just it, it it it's we don't charge for electrical or anything for people. Um, it's sixty five dollars every time somebody plugs in the, a floor plug. Um, like I said, the microphones are a hundred dollars just to make announcements through the day. So it, there's a lot of the stuff that goes on. My insurance I have to carry a two million dollar policy because it's a it's a venomous show. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes on that that end that people don't really see. They don't really understand that we're working constantly. I work more now for myself than I ever did for anyone else. You know, does it? Do you feel like it's gotten easier every year that you do it? Is it just, or do you just you, put just more new, on your yeah, plate? Yeah, is there just like new shit to do? It, it got. It, there's always new shit to do. It got a lot easier whenever my wife decided to come on with me full time. She actually quit her job and she's taken over. Some of the organizational things like the vendor registrations and, and, and keeping the vendors in line saying, look, I need your registration. I need you. Here's when you have to pay for your tables and things like that. She keeps my spreadsheets clean. I mean, there's no way in the world I could do it. Now I'm just the guy that actually goes out and, and you know, puts up the flyers and, and I do the layouts and, and talk to the vendors. I've known the vendors for so long. Uh, you know, I always meet new vendors, but I knew these guys from sitting at tables next to them, vending with them all weekend you know, in these dark, dreary halls and like no customers there, you know, so I've been with those guys before. So I had a rapport with those with those vendors. And, you know, you're not going to have a show without vendors. You could, you know, do whatever you want. But um, if you don't have if you don't have that rapport coming into this then you're not going to be able to build something like this. I think part of what has been different from what you're doing right now is that a lot of our friends and our friends are pretty serious dudes who are like, um, you know, they, they're they not afraid to speak their mind if, oh, if stuff is fucked up. 
Yeah. And they all and they all love your show. So it's well, like you must be doing something right. Well, and we have to we looked at it from a vendor's perspective. We sat down and said, if I'm gonna do a show, it has to be from a vendor's perspective. I want the vendors to have fun. I want the customers to have fun, but it's a stale market. You have to bring in new people into our hobby. If we don't grow our hobby, it's going to go stale and die. We have to have new people coming in. So we we try to in our marketing. We try to target people that are reptile buyers that are going to make the vendors happy. But we're always bringing in new people into the shows. We're always trying to target different demographics every single day. I'm changing ads and tweaking ads and working on advertising because those people at the next show are going to be buyers. And they may buy a $20 leopard gecko at the next show, but five shows down the road, they're buying $1,000 ball pythons and $15,000 retics and things like that. So you're growing a market. It's not something that I came into that said, you know what, I just want to make a bunch of quick cash and fuck everybody else. I came into this because I wanted to change how things were done. And we're getting there and it's always a learning experience, but I rely on my vendors to tell me, hey, dude, something's fucked up. If there's something wrong on somebody else's table, I'm going to go fix it. If a customer comes to me and says, that animal doesn't look very good, I'm on their heels going to tell, figure out what's going on with that vendor. And we really do pride ourselves in making sure that our animals, the animals there are quality and taken care of, and that we're giving the right damn care information to people. We're not just taking their money and telling them, fuck off, you're gone. I got your money, screw you. That's not how stuff works. And that's not how I vended. I was in front of my table handing people leopard geckos, everybody that walked by with care sheets and, and you know the proper information. That's so that's what I wanted to instill in our vendors. And and you know, we've had to weed a few out. We've had quite a few that we've had to just walk out the door. <clears throat> but I don't really care. Honestly, I don't. If if they can't follow, if you can't have some sort of quality standards and morals and ethics, you shouldn't be selling people retail you shouldn't be selling to the public especially live animals i mean that's something that is reptile people and enthusiasts we love the animals more than anything else you know and if you're not on board with that mentality then we just don't have room for you at our shows and i guess going back a little bit but getting together the first shows do do the venues provide things like tables or do you like rent all the tables the chairs the trash baskets i mean everything yeah, most most venues actually have their tables, but we still have to rent the tables from the venue. Like they don't just give us free tables. Um, and then a few of our locations, we actually have to bring in tables. Our Austin location, we have a, a place that's been supplying us for since we started the Austin show. And they know when we're in town, they come and set up. They actually set the tables for us. We tell them, here's our layout and this is how it's done. So we've gotten that, you know, th those steps down. Um, every single venue is absolutely different. There's always something different. There's always some quirk or something that we have to work around. Um, and it's been, like I said, it's still a learning experience. We always run into stuff. It's always, there's always something crazy going on. Go ahead. You tap, you did. Tap. Right. But then if you tap me back, I thought Go. that meant that you had to <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the growth of shows, have you had to change locations a lot? Not, not really. We've had, um, we've had situations where we've had to, you know, change locations, especially with our Austin show. Um, this will be our, our fourth location in Austin. We've kind of bounced around to try to figure out what, where the prime market is there. Uh, and so now we're going to be in North Austin. Um, <clears throat> we haven't, um, we haven't really had to change and using any of our other locations. 
uh, one of our shows in Longview, we had to be moved to a, a separate building one time because of a, a conflict. Uh, we were still on the same property, but we try and we like we book out. We're already working on 2021 dates. So we have all of our 2020 dates already out and they're posted and they're booked. Um, so we, we we want people to know they can come to the same place, the same time of year, and we're going to have a show there. And so, you know, we're and we've we've gone like we've expanded into a few other markets and that's more of like, OK, well, it's kind of a demand thing. We get a lot of we get a lot of messages daily about, hey, why don't you come to my town? Why don't you come to this town? There's a lot. Of, there's another thing. That's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into looking at demographics and things like that, seeing where we think might happen. And we reach out to our vendors. We want our vendors to do well. So we're like, hey, what do you guys think? Well, we, you know, we have a whole vendor group. Um, that's just for Herb Show vendors, and we talk in there openly about things like this. And 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 my vendors know they can come to me and say, "Hey, this isn't going to work," or "Hey, you should try this." And I'm all ears. I'm it's it's our business. I work for my vendors; they don't work for me. And yeah, like Darren was saying in the chat, but how do you balance out like not being a pushover and being you know taking legitimate concerns and then filtering out the the ones that are just kind of I guess it's hard. Um, and I, I rely on, on my wife. Um, she has a cooler head sometimes than me and sometimes she doesn't, but, um, you know, you, you and, and my friends are assholes. I love all of them, but they're assholes. They give me shit just on purpose, you know, just to throw curveballs at me every once in a while. But, um, it, you know, it's, it, it, again, it goes back to a learning experience. We may try something one time we'll do giveaways for, you know, the first hundred people or first 50 people or, you know, we do vendor giveaways too. Now we do drawings and we give away like dollies and free pop-up banners and table covers or free tables to shows. We try to give back, but you know, it's, it's all about trying to build a family environment with us. Um, I, you know, I, if one of my vendors was broke down the side of the road somewhere, I'd drive for hours to go help them. Um, that's just how we are. And, and I know how to separate personal and business. Um, you know, and I've had those, those situations come up before where I've had to talk to a vendor and like, you know, you just can't, this can't happen. I know we're friends outside of this, but we're, we're at work right now. You know, when we're at the show, we're at work. When we're out having beers at the bar or something, that's a different story. Um, but so you gotta take, you gotta, you gotta take, take them as they come and, and see. And like I said, I bounce them off my wife and see what she thinks. And, but we're, we're we try to be really open with, with everyone. So. And did you have to initially, did you have to reach out to vendors or did some, I mean, did you know people already in the industry? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been I've been vending by most of these guys as long as I've been breeding. Uh, I've been I've, I've I'm new most of the vendors that started our first show that we did our first show from doing shows with them, being on the show circuit. I was doing I was vending thirty shows a year, and my wife and I were both working full time jobs. Uh, we were breeding a large amount of animals, you know, so we we had to be out there and and, and you know selling and promoting. So I knew most of the guys from. You know, going to even going to shows years before I even started vending my own shows, I knew some of these people. So, and then we've developed relationships as we've gone on with new people. You know, and when did you end up quitting your day job? Actually, I kind of ha had to. Um, I had a, a a really bad back surgery, and um, the, uh, they did some really bad nerve damage. And I was still we were only doing like three shows the first year, and I was like, you know what, I'm, 
I'm going to go all in. Um, it's either that I do a bunch of rehab and go back to work and, and build trucks for the rest of my life and, and do mediocre shows, or I'm going to give everything I have and, and take a leap of faith and put everything I have into this and try to do amazing shows. And I chose the latter. Was that kind of, you essentially had no choice. Is that kind of where a lot of your drive came from to like expand through different cities and stuff like that? It did, it, it, but it also, like I said, it came from, we saw a lack in certain market areas where they were doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we were getting vendors that were traveling from further market areas to come to our shows that were complaining about shows in those areas. Like, look, why don't you go do this? So it was a combination. It was kind of like a perfect storm thing where, look, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to focus on doing this. I want to focus on doing the shows and trying to make them better. And vendors asking us, hey, come to this area, come to this area. And then my wife actually pushed me more than I pushed myself. She was the one that was more driven. Um, she thought she saw that we there was opportunity there and and knew that we could do it. So um, and it's it's worked so far. So we're we've, we've grown to the point where we can't do any more right now. Like we're done. We're, we're, we're trying to focus all of our energy and, and everything into these shows to make every single one of these the best shows that they can be now. So what is your reasoning for keeping it just you two? Um, that's, it comes down to, it, it comes down to trust um, when you're dealing with money um, for one. And my, my wife is like my best friend and she's, um, we work together 24 seven. Like you guys have to understand we're in the car together when we're traveling we're in the hotel room right now together. I was just about to ask, is she yeah. in there? I follow she yeah, she's, she's over here laughing. <laughs> she said hi. She's um <clears throat> but you can come on if she wants to. Oh no, she said no. I think <laughs> it's, every time I hear someone talk about it, they're just not like, oh, Sean's show. It's always Sean and Lori's her name. And Lori's right? show. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is a lot of vendors have noticed a huge difference, and she actually got a compliment from a vendor yesterday saying that the shows have, have changed since she's come on board because <clears throat> I am not organ I, I can't organize my sock drawer. Like this woman can organize spreadsheets and keep she keeps me in line and keeps me on task. Where my head's in the clouds, I'm thinking, oh, if I could spend this much more on advertising, I can reach this many more people. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram and things like this. And I'm talking to vendors, you know, shooting the shit about their layouts and things. She keeps me on task. And it's changed how we've been able to expand into these areas and <clears throat> It's made it better. It really has made it a hundred percent better. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's night and day, honestly, and she doesn't get enough credit and she doesn't think she deserves it, but she really does. Absolutely. So, but yeah. she wasn't first, she wasn't part of the first show. She didn't think it was going to happen. Oh, took yeah. a little time. Meaning she didn't think it was going to happen. Like you were going to have a show or it was going to no, be successful. Really didn't. She did not even think that we were going to have a first show. She was like, <laughs> There's no way in hell you're going to put on a reptile show. And then we went to the first show and she was like, holy shit, this could be a real thing. And it, you know, it kind of developed from there. And she's the one that pushed me to add a few more shows, but it was, again, it was from demand. We had, we had vendors begging for us and we're like, we can't go everywhere. We can't, it's just us. And I don't want it to be anything but us. The problem is that people get caught in this trap where you have some company or corporation running a show and it takes the personal touch out of it. 
I want to walk up to every single vendor that walks in the door and shake their hand and give them a hug and make sure they're okay and talk to them. And if they come to me and tell me their problems, I can fix it because we're the ones that do everything. We're the ones that run the show. We make the decisions. You can't, you don't have to go to hide, you know, somebody else and then go up and email ladder. You know, it's us. That's how it's always going to be. And I thought that that was interesting as far as your wife didn't think there was going to be a show. Obviously, yeah. you were probably blinded by just being so motivated just to make it happen. But was there any point where you're like, oh, shit, I don't even know if there's going to be a show at this point? Yeah, it got money got tight. You know, um, like I said, it, it was it was it was coming down to the wire and not ever putting on a show, um, you know, um, it, it, we were uh, Charlie and I were both running around like crazy trying to figure out what to do. And we had a bunch of crazy ideas and, you know, some of them worked and some of them didn't. Um, it, she said she helped in the last 30 days. She kind of got so she got she got some some of us, uh, some of us organized a little better the last 30 days before the show. But when you go back and look, it was crazy because we were thinking about this just a while back. Uh, actually, was it last the first the last the first Conroe show this year? We were looking back at our layouts in comparison, and I mean, we probably had twenty five hundred, maybe three thousand people through the door at that very first show, and the vendors did well, and it was crazy. Everybody was like, "Holy crap, this is a thing!" And then we did an Austin show, and it was completely opposite. We had way too many vendors. Everyone wanted to sign up, and we didn't have enough customers come through the door. And this was whenever we had split ways and it was just me doing this at the shows at the time uh, after the first one. So, but that show has changed so much like that. The first Conroe show we ever did was what people knew us by, but it's a whole different animal now. It's completely different than anything we've ever done. Um, that show's grown into something that we're, our vendors are proud of. And we, we sold out, we had our show January 27th and 28th and we sold out the 30th of January for the June show. Um, it sells out that fast and that's 200 plus tables. Um, so it's grown into that. And here's the thing. We're not going to add more tables. Like we can go into a market area and look at a show and say, okay, we are going to put, we're going to, we're going to base our layout based around the space we have and how many vendors we have and how, what the population is. Right. If we go into that show and we oversaturate it with vendors, nobody makes any money then we're, we're not going to be the ones that say, oh, screw it. No, we're going to trim the fat. We're going we're gonna, to you know, decrease the amount of vendors and increase our advertising budget so that we're making sure that all of our vendors are actually making money. They're making profit. Because I know the vendors that are there, there are some there that they make their living from this. This is what feeds their family. Then they're the hobbyists, and we understand that too. And some people can come to a show and break even, and they're absolutely ecstatic. Well, I'm not. I want them to make money. As long as they're doing the right things and providing the right information to customers and selling healthy animals, that's what this is about. That's what the business is about. Um, and we, I, I won't ever change on that. That's just how I am. So what are kind of some of the standards that you look for, whether it's a vendor or table display or something like that? Um, we, we, we prefer everyone to have table covers. Um, they can do their own colors. Um, I look for dirty cages. Uh, I have a lot of vendors that will walk around and they'll help me because it's so overwhelming just me doing it most of the time because my wife runs the whole front of the house. If she runs the registers and, and everything else, getting customers registered, signed in, all that good stuff, my job is to make sure all the vendors are taken care of and the animals are healthy inside. And I'll miss things. I'm not perfect. I'll miss things, and somebody will say, hey, that animal doesn't look very good on that person's table. And I'm the first one that goes over and says, okay, let me take a look. If it doesn't look right, it's got to go. It, that There is no 
And nobody, nobody argues with me on that fact because they understand what we're trying to do. Uh, some of that stuff gets overlooked, you know, I mean, especially with imports and things like that. We've kind of whittled it down to where our vendors know that, hey, Sean's going to walk around and look at your animals. And if they're in bad shape, there's no reason for you to have them on the table anyway, because he's not going to let you sell it to anybody. Um, and so we we really do pride ourselves on making sure that that the animals they are being sold are going to going to survive and they're going to be in the right care. And a lot of our vendors, most of our vendors will actually vet customers on their uh, on their previous you know uh, experience, especially with the venomous. Our venomous guys that do our shows are amazing. They are top notch. They are on top of things. They will refuse to sell in a heartbeat if they even think that you don't know what you're doing. So we really. We, and we and we like she said we try to help our new vendors understand that that's how we work. Um, the old mentality was I'm gonna bring. I mean I I know all these old Herper guys. They would show up to a show with a box. They'd go to you know Delta in the morning, Saturday morning at eight o'clock, pick up a box, show up at the show at nine o'clock, and open it up and start bagging stuff and setting it on their table. That's not how we work. That's not how we work at all. So. A lot of people, once they get a show going, they build it up, and then it seems like so many people just decide, okay, let's do it in this location every uh, every other month. And then yeah. it seems to get to the point where it's like, all right, everyone's seen the ship before. Same people, same place, same time, same shit. So yeah. it seems like are you combating that in a sense, or how do you balance yeah, we actually are. That's that's one of the things that irritates us the most. And and what people don't understand is by supporting those shows, they're going to stay open if they make a dollar at the door. If you're supporting a show that treats it like a flesh peddling exhibit, they're going to stay open if they're making a dollar. Every single show we do, those vendors that do those shows, especially multiple shows, we know the animals are going to stress. We have vendors that follow us every show. Um, we try to do two shows in each location a year and we try to separate them geographically so that we don't have any shows on top of other shows or anywhere close. Uh, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always work. We always have people that say, well, you put your show on top of mine or I put my show on top of you or whatever. And that's just based on what, what's going on in the area, what we can book at the, at, at the time. We have to look at weather like in Kansas city and Colorado, we're not going to go in December to cut to, to Colorado Springs because I'll die. I'll freeze to freeze. <laughs> I'm from Texas. That shit just doesn't work with me. Snow is cool to see if it's like flurries and stuff, but I can't handle that shit. I'll die. I'll end up in a ditch somewhere. So, but, you know, we, we, we want the vendors to know that, you know, we, um, we, we don't want them bringing every single animal to every show. That's, that separates it. Now, like I said, there are certain shows that really don't care as long as they're making a dollar that's all that matters. They make money off their vendors. That's the other thing is people think, oh my God, you got all these vendors here. You must be making a million dollars because I know this venue is not this much. You have no clue how much it is. If we aren't eating four to $5,000 when we open the doors, then we didn't do our job right. And that's just mm -hmm. how it. Well, we have a show up here in a barn pretty much. So that's one thing. Let's not, <laughs> not go into that. that. We're never going to be able to vend this show. Yeah, people keep so on telling us not to talk show. shit about this it. This woman's never going to let us vend it. If no, and apparently it. she does that. She doesn't let you vend it. But we'll tell you after. It's pretty obvious. Oh, if anyone listens to the show, we're talking yeah, about. We and it's the only one that's in basically a we fucking barn. We have to barn. stop bringing it up, though. We might want to vend it one day. And 
she's gonna tell us. And, more. No, and look, I'm I'm actually and, and and I just actually made a post about this, and I, I feel hypocritical about it. I'm actually a proponent for every vendor to do every show. Um, I want vendors out there that are responsible that give the right care because the, if those customers walk into that show, their customers are going to come to those shows regardless, right? If there are good vendors there to give them right information and sell healthy animals, it's going to give them a better outlook on on the reptile community as a whole when they leave there because that animal is going to survive. If, it, if they buy it from a shitty vendor and it dies the next day, they're never going to come back into this community. We're going to lose them forever. They're going to have a bad taste in their mouth. So I want the good vendors doing those crappy shows. But here's where the Catch-22 comes in. At what point do vendors say enough is enough of doing these crappy shows? If we all stop doing the shitty shows, they have to change. They go. They're going to go to the good shows. It's not like they're going to disappear off the face of the earth. You have to make a change. You have to put your foot down. The vendors control what happens at shows. The show promoters don't. The vendors and customers determine the success or failure of any reptile show. And if you don't understand that, you're in this for the wrong business. And they want to put money in their pockets. I understand it. We put every single penny back into our business. And we we said we'd do that for five years. That that's what we're going to do. Everything that we make goes back into the business. More advertising, more signage, more whatever, billboards. It doesn't matter. We're trying to expand and grow this into something that's long term. And hopefully people will follow along and see that we're we're trying to do something good. Um, you know, we're 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 not even breaking even when we open the doors and people like no there's no way i'm like no i'm serious like four to five grand is what we eat and that's the biggest thing that my wife stresses over oh my god we're six thousand dollars in the hole you know but but you always make it back with sales you you gotta make it you gotta make it back on ticket sales so i'm not trying to make the money off the vendors the vendors payments help me pay for a few of my expenses but we're pretty, pretty inexpensive. And, and the thing is, is a lot of the shows, in, in, especially in the North and Midwest, are one-day shows, and we do two-day shows. And we do 65 for two days? Do I know? You, so you charge 65 for two days? For tables? Yeah. Oh, no, it's 110 for tables. Oh, for I, thought you said, I thought I heard 65 somewhere. Okay, no. never mind. I don't know where I heard no. 65. It's $110. For, there's two. Conroe and Stafford are our most expensive shows. Those are 125 for one table. And but mo- all of our standard pricing is one ten for one eight foot table. It's eighty five for the second and seventy each additional. So, and then four packs are like three thirty five. So you can get a four pack for the price of like two tables at some of the big shows at one of our shows. You know, um, and then we don't charge for electricity or any of that stuff. We don't do pipe and drape either. I want to be able to walk into an expo and see where I'm going. Um, I know a lot of a lot of expos love the pipe and drape idea. I just and that, that wasn't a cost prohibitive thing. It's just like, I just, it seems so dark and dreary and you kind of get tunnel vision and you miss a lot of stuff with pipe and drape, honestly. So ours are open and, you know, everybody can see everybody. And where, as far as the country, obviously you're going west, but um, are there any places in particular that you're interested in expanding to? Not right now. No, honestly, um, we have so much on our plate. Um, <laughs> my wife, my wife wants to go in a certain area, but it's kind of oversaturated right now. So um, if something fails, yeah. it might I'm be interested. something. But if you, if you think about it, we're doing 24 shows this year. There's 52 weeks in a year. Three shows this year. There's 52. See, she we're just needs to come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she can go with her height. So we're on the road. Like, seriously, we got home from New Orleans Tuesday. 
and we left for Lake Charles this morning. Like we're home maybe four or five days. And there's there's no other time for us to put other shows in. If something goes wrong with another show or something like that, we'll just focus our energies on the shows that are that are that are surviving, that are thriving. So and explain a little bit because obviously it is what is it, a Monday? So it's like, why are you there when your show is this weekend? So kind of explain your ideas on the marketing of the show. So we do we actually will like we start tomorrow morning, we'll go to the Beaumont area, which is about uh, west of us. And we'll hit every pet shop, head shop, market, anything you can think of, tattoo parlor, any any place that will let us, we'll pass out flyers. We put out flyers, and our flyers have all of our dates on the back and then the, the upcoming show dates on the front. We'll pass out flyers that have all of our sponsor information on them, everything. And we're putting stacks of these flyers out. <clears throat> and then we'll kind of go through the whole week doing that. And then Thursday's kind of our – Thursday's kind of our mess, you know, fuck off day, basically. And then I'm usually doing news interviews on Thursdays and Fridays, too. So we're here. We get here early to prep for that, too. So how do you because I know, obviously, there's PR people who do that kind of thing. But do you have a PR person or do you somehow oh, find yourself do. on the news? No, no. But you can hire someone. No, I'm I'm the PR motherfucker right here. <laughs> so but I'm saying you're not letting me ask okay. a question. So how do you, how do you as an individual get yourself on a news station? Because oh, okay. she doesn't know that PR people are the ones who set it up with news stations because for a normal person just to email a yeah. news, I don't know. <laughs> a, a lot of uh, come on, Lori. Some come of the videos on. actually do help, but it's a lot of actually pestering the shit out of them, honestly. Um, and it also depends on what's going on in the area. Like Lake Charles, for instance, is crazy. The show we're at this week. One of the very first news interviews that we did was like for our first show, first or second show, and the reporter that came on absolutely fell in love with the ball python, and she actually ended up getting a desk job. And then so she told someone else in her producer's office, hey, they're coming back, blah, 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 blah. And now the last guy, his name's Dakota, he actually was coming. He was coming on on site and doing interviews with us before the show. Now he's got a desk job. So I'm doing the morning show and sometimes the midday show and sometimes the afternoon show. And it's rebroadcast all over their syndication. So we're in Lake Charles, but it may hit Baton Rouge, Lafayette, New Orleans, all around Louisiana, the same story may hit different news stations. So what I did was basically, instead of sending out a press release, I sent out press invites. I mean, I'm inviting the news media to come check this out, um, you know, catchy taglines and things like that, and sending my logos and sending pictures of kids holding snakes. And I send all that stuff in Messenger and Twitter and Instagram. I got a lot of response off of Twitter and Instagram when I first started. I wasn't getting anything from email, but I could I could send a tweet to a, a, one of the reporters, one of the one of the editorial people, because they're all listed under their news station. And that's how I was getting responses. So and then you get public email addresses from, you know, their normal news line or whatever. The other thing is you can go in and put it on their their calendar. If you go on a news station's website and put it on their news calendar nine times out of ten, somebody's going to see it and they may reach out to you without you having to go any further than that. So their event calendars that I mean that's something that's that's just that's grade one right there. You put it on an event calendar for every news station in the area, you know. Okay, see, I knew nothing about that. The only way if you Google how to get onto the news, it will send you to like a PR person that's trying to steal your yeah. money. So 
the normal yeah. people can just get onto the news just by tweeting at them. Like our venues, that are, some of our venues, they're, they're big, nice venues. They have a lot of events going on. So they already have some contacts. Usually they have some contacts that we can reach out to. Houston's been actually, the Conroe show, we were on the news the first one, I think, or the second one. I second. Do you think that's one of your bigger markets, so that would oh. be the hardest one to get onto. It is hard. It is the hardest. We've only been on the news one time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now come out and filmed on Sunday at two o'clock, like that that doesn't help us at all, you know, as far as marketing is concerned. But we've been on the news once there, our second show, and that was in 2015. Um, there's so much going on. <clears throat> the same thing with New Orleans. <clears throat> there's always something going on crazy in New Orleans. We were just now able to get on the news the past two shows to where we actually go on, you know, Friday morning and talk about and bring some animals into the studio and talk about what we do and things like that. So that all always- total selfish question. Which station were you on? Which one here? In New Orleans. Uh WD uh no, we're Fox. Fox eight. Yeah. Uh, WDSU is the best one. Yeah. Well, they don't contact me back, so, so I'm one of those contacts. Gotta hit up. <laughs> yeah, it's your favorite news. I mean, you should know where to go. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, we were on Fox. Uh, we did the for the Slidell show and the New Orleans show. We were on Fox. So I love all this Louisiana talk happening. I mean, mm-hmm. not like we're really talking about it, but just hearing the cities makes me excited. Oh, and I think that it's it's interesting that obviously you're out there for the whole week, but. What are you, do you keep track of how people get in the door, like how they heard of you type of thing and what seems to work the best? Um, we actually have registration forms that they can bring from our website, um, but every single customer that walks in the door has to fill out a form. And because it's venomous, it's a, it's a venomous liability form. And on that venomous liability form, we actually ask where they've heard from us and their location. So we are able to track data down to where they're coming from. Um, and, and then we actually have that compiled by actually one of our vendors is a friend of ours helps us with that. She actually compiles all that data for us and sends me a spreadsheet and says, look, this is where you're looking at. And this and it shows me where my at least a big sampling of what my return on my investment is and where it's coming from. That's interesting. Is that like a law thing, the venomous liability? Because here in PA, we have not signed shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a liability issue for us because everything, all of our vendors are are top-notch. Like I said, everything's secured. But God forbid something happens, we have to protect ourselves. And that goes along with our insurance policy carrying a $2 million policy. Uh, It's it's a simple um, liability waiver that I had drafted up by an attorney, and it's on my website. And and, um, they can download it and bring it. Sorry, excuse me. Um, but it just lets people know that, you know, this is what this is the thing. And they are going to be venomous here, even for the people that are coming in the non-venomous shows that we have venomous on display because we do educational. We have to let people know that, look, they are venomous here. Um, we're letting you know. Don't let your kid go look at the spitters and through the holes in the cups, you know, stuff, stuff like that, you know. Um, but it just keeps us protected. But it also gives us a, an end to gather information that we use and it goes into my marketing plan and it goes into my email list and we build a substantial email list that we send out newsletters and we have it separated into areas and regions of where people get those emails and when they get those emails and we do giveaways for customers and free tickets and things like that. So, and that's all me. I mean, that's just, that's running like crazy all the time. That is crazy. And you have no background (laughs) in marketing, right? This is just, no, I, Basically, well, see, Facebook changes so much that now I, I study the algorithms. Um, 
every morning I'm up looking at Facebook ads and what my ads did the previous day. I'm running for, cause I'm running ads for like four or five shows right now out, you know, further shows that are out right now. Everything's focused on Lake Charles, but I still have to advertise for those shows in the future. You know, I've got to bring the right people in. And so I'm, I'm looking at what my response is and what type of demographics I'm getting. And I'm tweaking ads every single day. I study that stuff. So I've had to learn it and, and it's changed so much from when we first started dealing with, you know, a thousand dollar advertising budget to a, a five or six thousand dollar Facebook advertising budget for every single show. Um, and you have to look at it in a way if if I spend five thousand dollars on one ad for Facebook, I have to have five hundred adults come in for that. If I don't do that with five thousand dollars, something's wrong. Social media is is the marketing tool. I've I've done radio, I've done TV, I've done billboards, I've done newsprint, I've done all this stuff. 76% average, 76 to 80% usually is where we're at is our return on investment is on social media, is Instagram. <clears throat> That's where we're spending our money. So you can essentially target an ad to say a 60 mile radius to Lake Charles, yep. Louisiana for this weekend. And then you're just trying to get eyeballs. I'm not giving you all my secrets, but. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just <curious. laughs> Anybody that goes on the Facebook, yeah, you can you can narrow it down. You can do a nationwide ad if you want to. You can narrow it down to a ten mile radius of where you're where you're standing right now. So you, that, that's just something that I do and I play with and I run multiple types of ads and I test those ads and I see how they do and, and then I use those to better my response results. Um, I change and switch my budgets around and move my money around into different stuff. So you just have to stay on top of it. it's not something you can set and forget it really isn't you have to actually stay on top of it and and like you asked me if i had no marketing i have no marketing expertise whatsoever i've had to learn it myself um and i'm still learning like i said i'm still finding out new quirks and things i can play around with facebook changes so much um and now i'm you know i'm 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 getting more responses from instagram i'm still trying to learn how to get more followers from instagram i think i have less than like 3000 maybe on Instagram. So I have some friends of mine, um, um, Danny at Urban Jungles Radio and Emma Laka, Emzotic, have kind of given me some pointers. They come to the Conroe show and uh, they give me some pointers that I need to need to start working on to get my Instagram following up um, because it's all, it's out there. You have to be present. You have to be in front of people. And I, have, I actually have a YouTube channel that I haven't done anything on. I, <laughs> I bought, I got a YouTube channel that I need to stay. I wanted to do something with my vendors where I did an interview and and like highlighted a vendor of the week or something and talk about how, like kind of what you guys are doing to me, how you got started and what your passion came from and, and why you do this, you know, and, and get that out there to people because somebody else might see that and think, Oh my God, that's that person. I, I got to buy from them. I've got to buy from them. They're, you know, we have their, they click with it, you know? And a lot of that, it, when I'm doing advertising, people aren't, they're not coming to see me. They're coming to see the vendors. So when they come, people come to shows, they're not coming to see me or Lori or anybody else. There's some, we have some groupies. We have some groupies that come to hang out just to come hang out because we try to make it fun for everybody. And my wife loves to karaoke with everybody. <laughs> so, but the customers are being brought in to go to the vendors and we want the vendors to be the highlight of everything. That's what this is about, but we want the customers to have fun. So we're always doing stupid, crazy shit, but you know, that's, that's just to get the customers involved and, and have, make them have a good time. Cause I've seen you do some compromising things and it's some compromising <laughs> positions between yeah. Andy and 
Yeah. Ryan. If you hang out with Ryan, we expected everything. The thing is, and, and you know, go along with it, that was a marketing tool that we were using because we were trying to draw up interest and we were trying to get people to send invites um, and to share the pages and to get customers to do it. Well, now Facebook starts banning people if they share too much or if they invite too many people. So people are getting bans on my behalf and I just I didn't want to do that anymore. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm still up for a challenge and my wife's like, oh, we resurrected. Of course you do. You want to see me wear like tutus and shit. And, yeah, she didn't have to suck my toe. That was the only that's the only thing she had to do with. with yeah, that. Yeah, but it's come to it's come to it come to an issue now where it's like I can't if I'm paying one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year on Facebook advertising, I should be able to share every single post I want a million times, a paid ad. But I can't do it. They limit you so much. They've they've handcuffed us, and the algorithms are changing. It's getting more expensive to reach the same amount of people and things like that. So you just got to learn the new tricks and stay on top of it and see what works and keep. Keep changing, keep changing, keep adapting. Props to you, because we try to figure it out a little bit, and it gives me such a headache. And now, like, Instagram and Facebook knows how much it's worth more so than oh, before. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely. were very undervalued. Absolutely, absolutely, yep. They've, they actually increased my spending threshold because of that crap, because I was like, I'm at 750 now it's gone up. I'm like, oh, man, what the hell? So it comes a lot faster. <laughs> the money comes out a lot faster, especially doing the shows that we're doing because, like I said, you know, we're advertising all the way through Austin, um, Colorado Springs. Actually, I'm actually all the way. I'm I'm advertising all the way through Colorado Springs right now, and that's in May 18th and 19th, I believe. So oh, I'm advertising for all those shows, and Conroe will start next. I mean, um, you know, trying to advertise for that. So, and the closer we get, the more it scales up. You know, the closer we get to the show because people are in now generation like they they don't plan a month in advance anymore people are like if they see it on a tuesday like hey there's a reptile show this weekend they're going you know yeah. if they see it if they see it, an ad today and the show's a month from now they've forgotten about it they don't see it you know what i'm saying so we we scale up and make sure that it's in people's faces the closer we get to the shows yeah but it also may take you five times you know that person scrolling oh, through yeah. so they see Absolutely. you and see you can tweak all that you can change how many how many times each person your post per day uh, you creep yeah you got to play around with those numbers I mean, you really so, do kind of have to be creepy a little bit like you yeah, have you're studying people at the end of the well, day human behavior. it really is and there's no like you can i can run two separate ads that are completely different keywords and get the same result and you're like what the hell like the same amount of people respond the same cost per click so you got to play around with that so there's no magic button that says only target people who have money to come to a reptile show. It doesn't exist. You have to kind of figure out what keywords work best for your situation. You know, people who liked Brian Barchek. That's the one I always advertise. <laughs> He's like the I one use, who. That's one of my keywords. BHB. It? it is absolutely. Um, um, what's the guy's name? God, I can't remember now. Jay? No, no. There's another one that I do in Florida. Um, I, I have one of their I use their keyword, huh? Not Crutchfield. Underground reptiles? No, it's um crap, the guy who went to jail. Oh, Crutchfield. No, not Crutchfield. The yeah, guy there's more yeah. there's multiple of them. <laughs> Rob Roy? Does the auctions all the time. Oh. Oh, uh, Siegel, Ben Siegel. Yeah. Ben Siegel. Yeah, Ben Siegel reptiles. I've always got him tagged on my keywords. 
Especially when all that crap was going on. Rattle off the like 20 yeah, smugglers off the top of my head when you said something. Exactly, yeah. because those are buzzwords for people. If you think about ball python people, they all, it, when people get into ball pythons, they're like, oh my God, Brian Barchet, right? Yeah. But they don't know about these other people behind the scenes. They don't know about the smaller individual breeders that have been putting in the legwork for longer and have done even more amazing stuff, you know? So, but that's what people think. They they associate that whole mentality with, oh, that's 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 the person. So of course I'm going to key into it. It's because you're looking for new people, right? So if I'm trying to bring in new people, that's going to be one of my keywords. I'm going to, I'm going to target what they're thinking about. You have to think like a new vendor. Like when you were breeding, when you first started, it was all new to you, right? But you had somebody that you could talk to. You had a mentor or something like that, right? A lot of the people that are still breeding right now, and this I'm trying to get off tangent here, but have forgotten where they started. They've absolutely forgotten that they were the new guy. They were the one asking all these stupid questions that they always you know, gripe about on forums and things like that, because I'm from the forum days. The Facebook days were, were new, you know, so um, it's changed a lot, but you just have to adapt and go with it. You have to follow those trends. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see as far as obviously, when the online market really came up and obviously forums and all that stuff, you would think that the era of the actual reptile show would be over, but it's kind of not really at all the truth. So kind of explain why you think that might be. Because people want to see and hold and smell and feel the animal in their hands. There's still a tactile sense sensation that people want to have, you know, um, and a lot of the people that come to reptile shows that aren't even buying are coming to see their friends that they don't see. Like when we, when we say that we're a family atmosphere, we really are with our, with our vendors and our customers. There are people that come to our shows just because they haven't seen their friend in six months because they saw them at the last reptile show and they live, you know, 300 miles away. You know what I'm saying? So that, that whole thing about, you know, morph market and things like that are going to kill. No, it's because people still, inevitably don't trust people online <laughs> scams going on so it's actually helped the reptile industry show the show circuits because of all of these stupid scam shit going on you know it really has because people are more hesitant to buy not to say morph market's not amazing but then it was fauna and king snake now it, i haven't been on fauna and king snake in years i don't think a couple of years probably i used to on those sites you know i used to buy animals from there i used to sell animals there so those things kind of gone, you know, to the byway. Um, so actually with all the craziness and, and it's actually helped the show circuits. It really has. It's done the exact opposite of what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, because no matter what, and people are always confused. How do I qualify my seller? Especially with yeah. reptiles, things are so gray and people usually don't even have that legit of a website. Someone just posted up on a Facebook group and, you know, a new person is, oh, what about this guy? And then there's like five amazing reviews, one mediocre one. And then they're like, well, how do I do? Yeah. What the hell do you do? And, 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 and even like with PayPal, it protects it. It protects. It doesn't protect the seller at all. Um, if someone gets an animal shipped, like one of my buddies, Mike Grizzy, is dealing with an issue right now where he has a guy wanting to buy from from Worth Market, but the address doesn't match. He doesn't know what to do. And if he sends it to him at the address that the guy's given him, then the guy can say, well, I live at this address and it wasn't shipped there and Mike's out the money. PayPal will, 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 will go on the buyer's side on that because it didn't, it didn't get delivered to that address. 
and it makes sense where he's being skeptical. So why not come to a show and be part of the family atmosphere? Come to the show, see the animals in person, hold them, feel them, see the actual size of them. Don't go all what somebody else is telling you. Of course, there's always going to be reptile selling and shipping. I'm breeding stuff right now that'll, you know, that I'll ship out next year. But the reptile show is still a whole different animal. We're just trying to change the way that they are. You know, we're trying to change the way that they used to be. That's not to say there aren't good shows. There are great shows out there. I've been to some of the uh, really good shows, but I've been to some really shitty shows too. I think that, and the thing that keeps us going to mediocre shows is honestly because we know a guy there or, yep, you know. exactly. And it's usually us just hanging out for eight hours. I feel like yeah. we get more out of our money than probably most people because we yes. just hang out. But no, I I'm healthy. The like the Texas shows, I think, are unique for their hang. Even good, bad, or indifferent, I think you just have a really cool crop of people who are fun to hang out with. Yeah, we 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 do have a lot of fun. <laughs> we, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> Texas and Louisiana shows actually, because you know the you know New Orleans is, was was last weekend, two weekends ago. That's always an absolutely crazy time, but. Um, Texas is so large and it brings people, but the shows bring people from all over the United States now, like um, especially the Conroe show. And um, we saw a lot of that in, in the Wichita Falls and Longview shows up near Dallas, Fort Worth, the shows that we do there, we're bringing people from Arkansas and Oklahoma. And we have people that drive from Oklahoma to come to Conroe. And we have a vendor that drove from Wisconsin to do New Orleans. Like, so wow. we pull people in from all over, but, and a lot of that's not, we don't target those areas in our marketing. We try to, pull from where we know people are going to come from you know we try to spend our money wisely like that but inevitably the word gets out and people see it and but we do get some people that come from all over um they travel quite far so each uh, i mean i'm sure this is different for the different shows but like let's choose i don't know the conroe show how um, many new spots are you having for, are open for new vendors each year or is it like you know 99 percent repeat this year's been kind of strange because it sold out so fast, and our September show is already getting close to selling out. Um, we kind of go through the vendors that have been with us from the beginning, who have given us the time of day, who you know um, had trust in us and and believed in what we're doing, and we give them first dibs, uh, honestly, on on getting registrations done. Um, and and we want to be loyal to people who are loyal to us, but we also know that we need to bring in new people and we need to expand, but. Um, Conroe has a pretty good lockdown on who's going to be there. Uh, we always have a few cancellations and we always have a few new additions. New, more people are hearing about that show. So we get, you know, people that come in from other areas, but as long as our main core vendors are taken care of and they have spots, um, if the show's full then the show's full, like I'm not going to tables, I'm not going to go to a different location. I'm, I'm just not, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there for the vendors that have been there for us. And, um, it's not like I said, it's not to say that we won't bring in new vendors. We always want new vendors because we really do, I think, have the best variety of any show in Texas. I don't care which one it is. Our shows are packed full of variety and we want that. We want the vendors are excited about that, too, because it's not just, you know, one thing. It's not just leopard geckos, ball pythons, bearded dragons. And that's what everybody got started in, which I don't know why people bitch about it. People still come and buy them. Why, why can't there be ball pythons at a reptile show and everybody bitches about it, but those people are the same people that started with the ball python when they were 12 years old, you know? They just think, oh, well, I'm an elitist and I'm, I've got now, I've got this, 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 and this, but who cares? That's where you started. Know your roots. So we try to get the vendors in that we know they're going to be there every time. 
And when we go into new areas, that's the hardest. Like going into a new market is so hard for us because nobody knows us. They don't really, they've never worked with us before. We have a really hardcore group of, of vendors that follow us to every single show. Um, but getting new people, we kind of have to get in front of them as fast as we can and say, look, you know, we're doing a show too. And, 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 and try to explain to them how we do it different and, and hope that they'll give us a chance. Nine times out of 10, what happens is we do a new show in a new market. We're low on vendors when customer through the door is great and people are buying. And now everybody wants to do the show at the next. That just happens. I mean, that's, that's just how it is. And is there any way to like vet a potential vendor? I'm sorry. I lost you there. Is there any way to vet potential vendors? We try. Um, we've had situations before where we've um, we've reached out to other people and say, hey, do you know this person? And and I, especially with the, some of the market areas that we're right now, I'm, there's a couple people that have reached out to me that are that I know that are good vendors in those areas that have kind of given me the yay or nay on a few names that wanted to vend. Um, but we, we usually try to give everyone a chance. Now, if someone shows up and they've just got mites all over their table and their animals look like death, then I'm sorry, you're done. You got to go now. Here's your money back. It's just, it's not going to work. If you can come into a show like that and think that that's okay, then you're not going to change in the long run either. So I'm done. There's no chance, you know, even for redemption there. So we've had situations where we had vendors that started off really strong and really good and they've gone to shit and we've given them chances to try to correct those issues and they just decided not to. And so those vendors are no longer with us. And I don't, I don't have any hesitation doing that. Yeah, you can't have sympathy for someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Exactly. Because if, here's the thing. If a person, vendor A, sells a great healthy animal to this kid and they go home and it's it's great. Something happens and it it falls, it's a chameleon, it falls off and it dies within two days. That vendor replaces that animal for free, right? Then you got vendor B. Vendor B sells a fresh import Savannah monitor that's full of parasites to a customer. It goes home and dies and he says, screw you, I don't have a lot, I don't have a guarantee. What does the customer say? They don't go say vendor B did this. When it vendor A did this, oh, vendor A is amazing. They're posting on Facebook and the BOI vendor A is great. They took care of me. Vendor B, the person who's complaining is like, I went to the Herp show and bought an animal and it died. And the vendor, no name vendor, they won't name the vendor. They just mm -hmm. name it. It's a reflection on our show of what animals are being sold. Even though I'm not producing these animals at the shows and I'm not physically selling them, we're all in this together. And so if the animals aren't healthy when they're going out the door, on, on the positive side, they're all gonna talk about the vendor that sold them the animal. But when it's a negative situation, it's gonna be the show where the animal was sold. It's always that way. And so you just, you, you wanna nip that shit in the bud and say, look, if the animal's not healthy, don't put it on the table or don't bring it. Why are you even thinking about bringing it? If you have vendors that just continually don't get it, because I've had vendors say, oh, it's just dehydrated from the two hour trip, bull fucking shit. And animal just came out of a bag. A 48 hour trip from Indo or something. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So I can see through that because I've been doing this for long enough. They, uh, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Like, seriously, you can't tell me that. I know the situation. They take care of it. That's fine. We give them chances. But then they get to this. When it gets to the situation where it just continually gets worse and they just don't get it, you got to go. That's it. And now all the states that allow it, are you hot at every show or is that just a certain amount of shows so the states are different because like colorado there's absolutely none you can't do anything and where we're at in kansas city you can't do any venomous there because it's in the city limits i believe 
Texas and Louisiana are two different animals. So Texas goes down to the city level, the town. Like I live in a town where two blocks away from me, where I'm at's fine, but two blocks away from me, I can't own a leopard gecko. I can't own any exotic animal. I can own rattlesnakes and copperheads and water moccasins and coral snakes because they're venomous, but they're native. I can own all those I want, but I can't own a leopard gecko. Is that in Lewis? Where is that? Uh, in Lake Dallas. Right in Lake Dallas. Wow. Which is crazy because most states are the opposite. Yeah. Now, so Texas has their, their laws, and then it goes down through the county and the city and then whatever, right? Um, in, in the state of Texas, you have to have controlled exotic permits and things like that. You, you still have to follow the federal laws, and of course. In Louisiana, it's different. The state actually trumps the parish. So if the parish ordinance says you can't own any venomous snakes in this town, as long as the person who purchases that animal or selling that animal has a permit from the state of Louisiana, then the parish can't say anything. The parish is like a county. They can't say anything to that person. Now, they have to go through certain steps to get those permits. There's a very detailed thing that they have to go through. Um, but so it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So we have to deal with those laws differently. And we've had to get attorneys involved and, and say, like, look, this is the because here's the other thing with Texas, and Louisiana, animal control and game wardens. It's all about their perception of the law. What is their interpretation of the law when they're on site? I may know the law. I know the law. I can guarantee you. I know the animal ordinance laws in the areas I'm at, that I'm at better than any animal control officer that works in their office because they don't look at it daily. I look at it every single day. I'm like, I'm making sure that everything's followed to a T, right? So if, they, but if someone comes in, an animal control officer, and says that rattlesnake's illegal, they can technically take it. I can't do anything about it because it's their interpretation. Of, even though they're wrong. At that point, they're they're a law officer. They can do whatever they want, right? But I have documentation supporting my my stuff with me at all times. So I'm able to I've actually had that happen in the New Orleans show where I had to defuse an animal control officer who had no idea what she was talking about that came in and said, You can't own any no, nothing venomous. Well, she said poisonous, but I knew what she was going. Nothing poisonous or venomous here. And I said, I'm sorry, this is actually you know, all of our vendors have their permits, and every single vendor had their permits from the state and she actually ended up walking out with like two or three ball pythons she actually stayed the whole day and ended up doing our educational did I lose them? no, no I still see still you see just got kind of like darker that's weird maybe my, my laptop did your screen just go to sleep or something there we go yeah I think it did there I'll be back sorry yeah. so yeah so we, we've had to deal with that before but you know I had to be on top of that and that's another thing that people are like oh, I just throw a show no you have to know all of the ordinances everything there I reach out to animal control say hey we're doing a show this is what's going to happen oh now we lost now we lost you I don't know if his laptop was dying he was or dying, something right and that's why it went dark but I'm interested. So, like, okay, he says he has people come, you know, drive from out of state to these shows. I'm assuming all the people who are driving from out of state do not have hots because if you're driving from out of state, they would only have the permit from their state and not from Louisiana. It depends how your laws work via your state. I'm do not some sure state exactly. Other... I know that in Texas, you need to have this permit that you buy. So, I believe if an out of state person, maybe they can buy the same permit. I'm not. 100% sure, but I can imagine if you're selling hots, honestly, they're just not that valuable to go and drive, you know, six hours to sell or drive from Oklahoma to Houston. 
Well, I never thought I mean, anything valuable from uh, Wisconsin. To well, Colorado, yeah, but it's also but... to New Orleans, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah that sounds like never a good mind. time. Sorry, New Orleans not true. Or uh, they have family there. And oh, they wait, make a now trip there's out two of, of him? Here we are. Oh, uh, there, there you go. go. My Wi-Fi kicked off for some reason. Sorry, I lost you guys for a minute. Didn't mean that. Golden nugget. <laughs> Where did I lose you at? Um, uh, what was he talking about? Oh, we were talking about uh, like different city ordinances and animal control okay. and having proper paperwork on you. Yeah, and just you, like I said, you have to you have to know the ordinances better than the animal control officers do, and have supporting documentation. Just cover your ass, basically. You know, I, I would have a feeling that like most animal control officers wouldn't know one species from another. Maybe unless a rattlesnake. Absolutely. You're a hundred percent. And it's sad. Actually, we have people that are enforcing those laws that don't even know the laws themselves or how to interpret them, but they don't even know the animals. Um, there's several game wardens that don't know the difference between a, a water moccasin and a broad baited water snake. We've seen it. Like you should know that you're a game warden for the state of Texas. Those are your native animals. You should have a test on that shit. You know, you should be able to pass that shit. But, um, but what's good is that the herping community and the reptile community are pretty up to date on their laws. So usually they're the ones schooling the, uh, the animal control officer or, you know, um, a lot of people get, get popped out in, in West Texas out um, herping. You have to have vest on. You can't be on the right of way, things like that. They know the laws better than those guys out there do most of the time. Right. Um, so when you cut off, we were talking and I was saying, so I'm assuming that most or that people who are selling hots are from the state that the event is in because no. they're coming from another state. They would have their permit from the other state and not, not exactly. So three of our hot vendors that come to Louisiana are from Texas, but they've gotten their permits in the state of Louisiana from Louisiana Fishing Gate. So they pay like both. Yes. Wow. And there's probably like a higher fee for out of state. Is it kind of yes, like a absolutely. Yep, absolutely. They pay an out of state fee for that. So. So they must do enough business to cover paying that second oh, yeah. permit. Yeah, because we, I mean, we do like Conroe's our largest hot show. Uh, our our other venomous shows like Slidell in, in New Orleans. We there's there's not a lot of venomous breeders actually. There's there's quite a few of them, but they don't they're not in Texas and Louisiana. They're in different states, right. but we're not going to travel just to come to a show. So we have three or four at those shows that are just venomous, you know, um, here and there. Conroe has eight, eight or nine. Usually um, we get people that travel a little further to that show. But that's again, that's where we started. And that's, you know, that's grown the most. So but the other shows, you know, we we have three or four venomous vendors at every show. It's not like a, a huge part of the show, but we don't separate them either. They're part of the show. You know, they're vendors just like everyone else. Now, do you put them all on one wall? Or? I do put them in. I do put them in a section together because it it helps those guys. Um, if if they're if this guy's looking for this type of rattlesnake and he doesn't have it, and their vendor next to him does, they can send each other and they can watch each other's tables too. Um, they they know the protocols. They have their permits. I put them together because it helps them and it helps me too. Uh, know where they're at and i can direct people like look this is where the venomous section is on my layout it's it's in red all the tables are in red so it tells people where to go so it's it's a little bit easier that way instead of just spreading them all over the place but like i said it, it benefits them and it benefits us too 
And I feel like if someone has a problem with a venomous animal, you want to at least be able to know which direction you're yeah. going in. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And and, the, and and our guys know that you know nothing comes out. We, have, we usually have hot rooms at every venue so they can go in and lock the doors. And if they need to clean a tub or anything or, you know, whatever they need to do, uh, they can do it in, in privacy and, in, you know, in a locked room um, in secure areas. So that was a big issue with the liability was doing venomous. It was a tough thing for us to decide to do but it was a necessity in the houston area for sure because that's something that obviously you didn't have to do did you just see that as like something that would differentiate you between the other shows i i did but there was also again another it was a, a demand um it, it started in houston because they're i mean there there's another venomous show but it, it was um a demand to do a big show that was venomous do a hot show like that um and, and bring in vendors from other areas and bring in really cool stuff that nobody had seen before. Um, and so we, we task our vendors with that and it's grown. It's, it's been really good. Sweet. So going to obviously all over the country and traveling so much, <laughs> I mean, how do you even keep up with everything and your own animals and multiple shows at the same time? Actually, my son, uh, my son's 19. Uh, he graduated in May of last year and moved in with us full time. Um, he has done an amazing job of keeping. I'm down to maybe 40 animals, maybe. I have like a pair of this and a pair of that, you know, a couple, a few things here. And then we have our dogs, uh, six dogs. But my son stays at home. Um, he lives with us and he takes care of everything and communicates me with, throughout the week of whatever, you know, what I need and um, what I need to bring home if I need to get more Dubia or if I need Pangea or whatever. He's like, hey, I need this, these, this. I know you're going to be at the show. So, uh, but he is, uh, he's been kind of the backbone of how this has actually worked because we couldn't do it. I mean, honestly, we couldn't travel this much with our animals. We'd have to get rid of everything or take the dogs with us would be crazy. Right. I guess the, the best employees you birth and have to wait. <laughs> it's taken me a while to get him to realize that. Trust me. It's taken me a while to get him to to actually, you know, figure everything out. I mean, he's been around it his whole life. So, you know, he's the one I trust the most. Yeah, for sure. And how do you guys usually, I mean, obviously you were in New Orleans probably for the whole week. So, I mean, it's, it's part of the... We survived. <laughs> Barely. Part of it, like, cool places that you get to go and explore. and. Uh, yeah, it is. Like, you know, it's it. this is... It's not a job. Uh, it's it's hard to say this is a job because it's not really a job. It is our career. Um, it is a job because we work our asses off at this, but we have to have fun time. Like we, if we didn't set a shutdown time, we would both be on our laptops and computers until one or two in the morning working and never talk, never say anything to each other. When we're out of town, we have we we'll go market and market and market until four, five, six o'clock, and then we're done. And then it's time to we'll, we'll do updates or whatever we need to do on our laptop because we're still working. We're doing updating websites and layouts and vendor payments that are coming in and customer payments for wheel call. We do we do all that stuff. But once it's done, we like to go out and do you know have some fun. That's that's part of it. We we get to see some friends that we don't see but twice a year. You know, so we always try to meet up with people and like we really are. Like I keep saying we're a family, but we really have developed a, a reptile family in these areas because I would do anything for any of my vendors. And when we see them. It's not just because we're here for the show. It's because we, we actually like being around each other even when we're outside the show. You know, that's that's work time. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fun to go to these areas and, and, and have, you know, have fun. But it's still all business while we're here. We're still working. You know, 
I'm always on my phone. My phone, she gets mad at me about my phone because I'm, you know, at dinner at eight o'clock at night, my phone's going off and it's a vendor bitching about something or wanting something or bitching about another vendor or something else, you know? So, and that's stuff I have to take care of. Um, I'm on call 24 seven, pretty much. So. Yeah. And- when random question that means nothing, but <laughs> when you're choosing where to stay in each city, do you try to get a place close to the location or does it not really matter? We try, um, except for except for our casino because we get comps, but except for Corpus because our venue is about 20 minutes from the beach, 30 minutes from the beach, but we usually try to stay close to the beach. Like you, you have to when you're in Corpus, you have to go to the beach. So, um, but most places, yeah, we try, we try to stay pretty close and we try to get areas, you know, we try to stay in hotels where all the vendors can book. So we're all together. Usually it's all of us. We all go out to dinner Saturday night after every show. We always have a place that we get reserved and everybody goes out and has drinks and dinner after every show on Saturday, no matter where we're at. Beach, the Corpus, we do a big beach bonfire for all the vendors every Saturday oh. show. So um, most of the places we go, like here, we, we here we have a big seafood place that's here that all of our vendors are invited to and they go wherever, you know, it, most of them come. We have 40 or 50 people usually at every dinner on Saturday night. Where do you go in New Orleans? Bourbon. We go to Bourbon. Well, we we go to Orleans Grapevine and meet everybody there. But usually in New Orleans, you can't get reservations for a big party. So what we everybody goes and eats wherever they want, and then we have a meetup point. It's called Orleans Grapevine, and that's our cheers place down there. So we have everybody meet us there, and then we kind of just spread out and enjoy the debauchery. So we actually like and we we don't get annihilated down there anymore because we like watching the vendors that have never been in New Orleans. <laughs> Yes, their metal against uh, Bourbon Street because they all think they can conquer Bur- Bourbon Street, and they're the ones that are sleeping under the tables all day Saturday. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're usually in New Orleans from like Sunday to Sunday. Uh, we're usually there. That's one of our favorite cities. I love that place. It's the best city in the world. Yeah, we're there four or five times a year now. Wow. Week at a time. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. That's not that's not a bad idea to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna go to Stafford, but then we're gonna go to Corpus Christi and then New Orleans. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Colorado too would be a nice place to go. Yeah, and I have a man. My, one of my best friends lives in Colorado Springs, and his fiance and um, my wife's family is actually she's from Kansas City, so it, it has a little bit to do with that too. That we have family and friends that can help us on those road trips too. It's 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 like I said, it's just us. We don't have any employees just us um now we pay to help people that help us you know our friends and stuff we my family helps us a ton especially in the texas and louisiana shows um they help us a ton um so but yeah we it's the thing is is that we're still working but damn it you need to have some fun sometimes you need to actually enjoy what you're doing um so we, we we know it's business and we're here for business and we're here to make people money but you'd get burned out if you did this all the time you have to have some fun and release and and have a good time and we like to have fun with our vendors you know like i said we we like to go out with our vendors saturday night and we have a great time bourbon is probably the worst one for sunday it probably really is the worst one because we we see people like crawling across bourbon street and sleeping under tables that really does happen no no joke uh, but like Corpus is great because it's a beach bonfire and everybody's chill and relaxed and we're all sitting around drinking and talking and singing karaoke or whatever they want to do. And then everybody's like usually stays right there. So everybody's usually bright and happy Sunday morning at Corpus, you know, 
but that seems like a something that you guys do often is the karaoke thing that's because of my wife i don't i did i did one karaoke song in wichita falls i did tequila that's the only thing i did it has three fucking words that was it that was it i did I, just to prove them that i would do to, i would do karaoke i did but yeah but the, the all the girls that get together my wife's and her friends and the vendors they love doing karaoke so that's just something they want to do i just sit back and drink my beer some of the guys like it too. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to come on camera? No. You sure? Yeah. All right. Because <laughs> I, I saw that karaoke. Well, both that one that Andy posted of him and Max, and I don't know what was going on. Oh, God. That was with Charles. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then obviously I saw Lori, which I think was at like Cat's Meow. That was a Cat's Meow. Yeah. I also. We went to New Orleans. Well, everyone like, I went who, to New Orleans. Everyone who visits and yeah, New Orleans yeah. goes to Casma. Even I us, didn't know it was such a thing, but even yeah. well, anytime we had an event growing up, well, not growing up in my later teens, anytime <laughs> there was a French Quarter thing, like twelve when you're no Casmiel <laughs> is like the one place on Bourbon that even like locals like go. I mean, we don't go on. It has to be a reason, but like it's fun. Any other place <laughs> other than the beach, I won't touch it. So, are you from New Orleans? Yeah. Oh, did I? I should have said that in the beginning. Yeah, I know that. So that's why I've been asking so many questions about it. Is because I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> so, do you know where Orleans Grapevine is? I've actually never heard of that. Okay, that's what's funny about it. Not a lot of people have. It's a little wine bar. We've been going for ten years. It's only ten years. Yeah, we've been going there for about ten years. That we we used to sit in there and have drinks and stuff, and it's off it's it's on Orleans, but it's off Bourbon, like in between Royal and Bourbon, right? Right. It's Orleans. The street. Or, Orleans. The Sorry, street Orleans. Orleans. When you kept saying Orleans, I'm like, what the yeah, hell? We call it Orleans. Yeah. We're from Texas. I get mad if I say New Orleans. No, but, but that's the, the, Orleans. No, I know it doesn't no. make any sense. The street no. is Orleans. The city. We is need consistency yeah, the, here. The city's New no. Orleans. The street is Orleans. I know. But see now, now you got you got Burgundy, you got Chargers, you got Esplanade, Esplanade, Esplanade. Oh, Esplanade. Esplanade. See. Esplanade. And I don't Esplanade. even try to explain Burgundy. Burgundy, we, yeah. Burgundy is a stuff. Burgundy. Yeah, but we call yes. it Burgundy. It's Burgundy. There's a city that's Calliope, but we call it Calliope, which yeah. is not. They're both bad. Yeah. Calliope's yeah. <laughs> a real. Jewish. What? Chupatulas. Chupatulas. Which, Chupatulas. again, another one not even worth explaining. Starts with a T, right? There's, yes. There's Rampart. No. Rampart. <laughs> Rampart. But Marini, the Bywater. We've been, we've been going down there. You no, know, you got Marini. There you go. The Marini and the Bywater. There's so Irish we, Channel. So we were, we were at Orleans Great Barn. We've been going there for years. We know the bartender. Like I said, it's really our tears place. We know everybody there. We used to sit by this little old lady that used to sit next to us. She always had a reserved seat. And four or five years ago, was it? She actually told us who she was. She was the inventor of the hand grenade. Her name is Pam Fortner. And she's become really good friends of ours. She's the owner of Orleans Grapevine. And she owns every tropical isle and funky pirate in the Quinnipiac. Oh, she's loaded. And she's amazing. She's awesome. she's awesome. Now she comes to the shows. She comes to our shows. There's every single Toke Gecko in the entire building on Saturday morning. Every single one. Because she releases them in her house, in her apartments, in her bars, upstairs in the storage areas to take care of roach issues. Absolutely hasn't seen a roach in two years. Twice, okay. 
Every single token. Yeah, she does. This lady is absolutely, she owns half the French Quarter, but she's one of the coolest people. You can walk up and talk to her. She's usually got her dog, and and we've talked to her, and she's taken me up to her apartment and showed me where she releases. And she puts little water dishes out for the toke geckos. But seriously, she comes to the shows now and buys every single toke. So our vendors, like, load up. they like, okay, when Miss Pam's coming for New Orleans, I'm going to load up on toke geckos, and she's going to buy every single one. And I just walk her around the show, and she buys them all. It's funny. It's hilarious. That's crazy, but really sad. Yeah. <laughs> it, is. it is. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Joe's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even know that any of these things were an option. But babe, oh, I have, she, I, if she owns every tropical aisle and all that, she is so loaded. Is that like a tr- a chain it, of? Do you know bars? what the hand grenade? You know what the hand grenade oh, is. Big containers that comes in, all the tropical aisle on it. Like when you're walking down, that's money in her pocket. Oh, so even the ones that are just any of them that are serving hand grenades at all, she has like the that is her thing. Yes. Any festival, you know, there's a festival every weekend. Anytime that's sold, she is getting so much money. Yeah, and she's but she's like one of the most down to earth people you'll ever meet in your life. She's just the sweetest person. Now she'll cuss like a sailor. Like she really, she's like eighty something years old and get shit faced drunk and cuss you out. But she's one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. Like she really is. So we met some really interesting people down there. I will sure. have to check That's... out that place, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you go in, you have to ask for sunshine. She asked you for one of our show. Once you walk in and ask for sunshine, everybody knows sunshine there. She's the bartender there. She's uh. That's just sunshine. I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> she's just this huge. Now she's got a tegu and built this huge enclosure. So we've turned a lot of people into reptile people in New Orleans. That's crazy because it's like I want to ask that question. That's like, do you have a story from one show? But it's hard. You would have never said like the inventor of the hand grenade. Like that probably doesn't come off the first time. <laughs> but somehow people, we get. There. Well, I did hire hookers in New Orleans to hand out flyers. Oh. I didn't realize I did. Actually, I didn't really do it. What happened? No, I didn't. I didn't really hire hookers. Wait, so. come on the show. <laughs> show. Yeah. Actually, this was the only show that I went to New Orleans by myself during the week. I flew out. And I flew out, and it was before. It was right during Mardi Gras because I wanted to get a bunch of flyers out on the, in the Mardi Gras parades. I'd gone out. I'd gone to this bar. I was sitting down. I was carrying these boxes with me of all these flyers and stuff. I sat down at this bar, and these girls were like, hey, what are you doing with all those? And I said – I'm, this is what I do. I put on Reptile Expos. I'm passing out flyers in the Mardi Gras parades today. I was handing them to people in line and in the parade. I was just handing out flyers. And they said, well, we'll go help you. I'm like, well, shit, yeah, let's go. Had no idea who these girls were. Oh, my God. We walked around and passed out about 5,000 flyers in a few hours. And drinking, the, we're drinking the whole time. You can't go to Mardi Gras and not drink. So we go back to the bar that we uh, originally met them at. We're sitting there talking and they're buying me drinks and stuff, and I'm uh, completely annihil- annihilated. My phone is dead. Um, my, my wife can't get a hold of me. That was like 4 p.m. Like, yeah, like yeah, I was I was gone the last time I talked to her. Hookers are usually busy after like 10 p.m. So. Yeah, well, I woke up the next day, and my bathroom was a complete disaster. It was a wreck. Like, there was stuff all over. I mean, it was bad. And had no recollection of what happened and went back to that place. Um, walking by, it was it was down the road from my hotel, and I was gonna walk by it. It was on Bourbon, and those girls were standing out there, and I realized, oh my God, they are hookers! Oh Jesus Christ! So I go in and start talking to them, 
and nobody believed this story until this happened, but I was in there talking to them and they said, yeah, we were, we were passing out flyers and we were doing shots and we were, you, you, we were going to make sure you got back to your place. We were going to walk you back to your room. And this guy came up and propositioned one of us and you called them motherfucking ladies and put them in a cab and sent them home. So that's what happened. I actually told the John that was coming up to get them that these were motherfucking ladies and put them in a cab and sent them home. Had no idea. So <laughs> I tell this story because my wife's like, where the fuck were you? And I was like, I had run into some hookers and passing out flyers and shit like that. And she's like, what the fuck? So none of the vendors believe me. And we're down in New Orleans after the show. This was like two weeks before the show. That Saturday night, we're walking down and we walk in front of that short store. And sure as shit, those same two girls are in the bar. And they come running out, hugging me, asking for <laughs> calling Lori by name. Lori, oh my God. And all my friends are like, their faces are like, what the fuck? I'm like, I told you, I really did. They helped me, they they helped me pass out like 5,000 fucking flyers. I had hookers in New Orleans doing it for me for free. And then she didn't believe me for a while, but then they're trying to buy her shots and shit and giving her hugs. And Lori's like, what in the fuck? I'm like, I told you, they can't make that shit up. You really can't. You really can't make that shit up at all. And that is very New Orleans. That doesn't matter. It really is. It really is. It really is. That's a one of a kind city. We love it. That's hilarious. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Does anything said? else happen? I mean, like, of course, other stuff happens. Have you ever done a show and all right? It's terrible. Like, has a show ever failed? Because I know you yeah. were worried about the first oh, one. Absolutely. Has no, we had we had a show in Dallas that failed. Our first San Antonio show failed. We don't do we we don't do those shows anymore. Um, and it was a it was a combination of um you know some bad marketing during the time or. It was when we first started and not knowing enough, uh, bad uh, weather, uh, you know, and you, you can't learn anything if you don't fail, honestly. Right. Um, if everything's great, then you're never going to make it better. So um, we learned a lot from from those failures. And, and, you know, we've had we still have bad shows every once in a while. And it's nothing. But here's the difference, though, in having a bad show and just giving up is like we try to work harder to make the next show better. Um, our last Longview show we did it the weekend before Thanksgiving. That was a complete mistake. Like we'll never do that again. That was the only date we could get, but it was not. It wasn't a good show at all. And here, and there's definition of good show and bad show is different for some people. I'm a show promoter who, if I and I tell my vendors this, they have all heard this from me. If I have 500 people through the door and they're all spending a ton of money with all the vendors, I'm the happiest person in the world. But if 10,000 people come through the door and they don't spend a dime. I take it personally. I'm pissed because I didn't do my job the right way. I may have brought people through the money through the door, and they may make money at the door, but my vendors aren't making money. My vendors aren't happy. And they're not making money. They're not going to come back, and you don't have a show. You don't have a show. So that's just you know. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna have hit home runs every single weekend. You just my vendors know, and I hope they know that I'm just going to do my best to make sure that it doesn't happen again, or I'm going to work harder for the next one. You know, I'm, I figure out what I did wrong and I change it and focus on something else, but I can't, I can't like dwell on that shit. I got more shit to do than that. I'm busy all the time. So all I'm thinking about is the next show and the next show and the next show and the next show. You know, I put that stuff behind me. It happens. It happens for a reason, but I don't think anybody can doubt my effort. You know, we, we work our butts off to try to make sure that everybody's happy. Is there ever a failure on the part of like you just picked the wrong market altogether, like location wise? I think so. Yeah, I think we ran into that with the San Antonio show we did. It was kind of 
and it was an okay location. It just wasn't the right time of year either. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. You can't ever really pinpoint one thing that says this is why it failed or this is why it's, it's, it's a success. You really can't either. You know, it's a combination of things. So we, we've made it, we've made it, we've made a deal though. Now that we do a show, we're going to do four shows. Um, we're going to do, if we, if we, if we commit to doing a show in an area, we're going to do four shows because with Corpus, our first three shows in Corpus Christi were, eh, they weren't that great. We were in like a 40,000 square foot airplane hangar space and we had like 20 vendors, like 60 tables or something like that. It, it dwarfed us 72 tables. Look, she knows all the numbers. <laughs> but now it's grown to our last show. We had, how many tables did we have? 90? No, last show having. Come on, Lori. <laughs> 118 paid, ta- yeah, I know. 118 paid tables and we had almost 4,500 people through the door. And so we, we know that there's potential to grow in certain areas, but we, we gave up early when we started doing that. We, we kind of got a bad taste in our mouth. We're like, well, something went wrong. And, and I take all the blame. I don't blame it on anything else. I mean, it, it's, I failed somewhere is what I see it, but it makes me stronger for the next one, you know? Yeah. I'm just always curious because there's, especially in big markets, there's some big markets that don't really have any successful shows, particularly up here in the Northeast. And- I'm so surprised the lack shows up here. I feel like it's an expense thing in a sense, but then again, like a lot of places. But I just, I mean, I think of it like considering the amount of big breeders that live near yeah. us. New York, Philly, New York, and New York, DC. Philly, DC, all oh, these yeah. big Baltimore. breeders that are near us. Yet there's so many crappy. It just doesn't make sense. There's not really any great shows. I don't. I don't. I mean, there so are. What, do you guys, what do you consider a great show, though? That's true. I'm sure there's shows that make plenty of money, but I consider a great show would be just a show with diversity standards, of course. And I want it to be honestly a good portion of captive. You can still get diversity in captive bread here. It's like either captive bread or straight up import. It's not, it's, and captive born and bread is usually just ball pythons. Gotcha. And there's not really, and when there is diversity, it's the wrong kind of diversity. So. And I Got think it. diversity in like species, but also diversity in the types of vendors. Like I feel like even when we go to like NRBC in Arlington, like that's mm-hmm. a big major show. But I think they have some vendors there who are considered, you know, like not they're not doing thousands and thousands of, you know what I mean, like. I don't know if Ryan would consider him. So I don't consider Ryan like someone who's doing huge. No, he's a popular vendor and he's, you know, noticed, but like, he's not, he's not a huge big time. Not a commercial right? Breeder. He's not a commercial breeder, but he's, he's, at, Arlington. he's also at um, Long Long, uh, Lone Star and shit like that. But I feel like there's, you know, a, a good show to me also has a variety of smaller breeders. No, that's, that's, that's what, that's our niche. That's exactly what you, you, you hit perfectly on that. You have any RBC in Arlington, and I hate to call anybody out. I've known Bob and Brian for a while, but they they cater to the bigger the triple L's, you know, the, the 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 freedom breeder guys and things like that. Now, some of those vendors still do our shows, but we not not the big ones. So, no, some of the vendors that do any RBC still do our shows, um, and like uh, the smaller guys. But that's what we cater to because that's what we are. We were a smaller vendor. We competed against those bigger vendors, and we kicked some of those bigger vendors' asses when we were breeding, but. We want everyone to have a piece of the pie. We've turned down those big companies from coming in um, to, to Conroe specifically because here's my thing. I had people that were ride or die from the beginning for, for that show. 
you know, they, they put their time in. They started with three, four tables. Now they're at 12, 15 tables. But it's a full house. And it's still our local breeders, and we still have people that come from out of states. But if I add, a, you know, 14 tables for triple L, say, then where, 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 what do I do with those other 14 people? You know what I'm saying? I, I take those other 14 people that have been there from the beginning, and I kick them to the curb. Hell no, that's not what I'm about. I got to take care of those guys. So I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna compromise on that at all. I'm gonna make sure that everybody's taken care of, and we really do cater to the smaller kind of breeders, you know. And some of those smaller breeders have gotten big, they've gotten really big. Uh, you did an interview with Andy Hine, DNA uh, Reptiles at NARBC last year, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever I w- whenever I knew Andy before before the whole Andy DNA Reptiles thing, Andy had a couple tables with some water bowls and some colubrids. Andy was a colubrid breeder back in the day, and he is again now. He is again now. Yeah, no, and I and I was bending I was bending shows, and he was have he'd have one table or he'd have half a table with somebody, and then he did what? How many tables did he do at first Conroe? Was it four, six, or eight? He did eight. He did eight at the first Conroe show, and now he's at sixteen at every single show we do. Wow. And he's grown with the show. So I have people that'll say, well, why don't you have other, you know, big dry good vendors? Why? Why whenever he's been there from the very beginning? You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and so I have to kind of and there and there's a lot of that that goes into looking at what vendors to add and what I can't I can't say that I don't have any exclusivity. There's still dry good vendors that come in, but they know they can't compete with him because his prices are so low because of the volume that he does. And he has a following because he started from the beginning. Um, if there's no use even trying to compete, why would you worry about it? Why would you spend your money and waste your time on it? Uh, now, the animals, you know, we we try to get a good variety, and that's, that's the, the key word to use is a lot of variety and diversity. Um, if you come – you guys should come to one of our Conroe shows. You'd have to come to the Conroe and see how much fun we have, how much fun the customers have, how, much, how many animals go out the door, and what – types of animals come into that show because it blows me away like i walk around going oh my god i gotta have that i haven't seen that shit in years you know um so uh that that's that's our niche that's exactly we're right in the middle we're not the little tiny show we have some small shows but we're not the little tiny show where it has four vendors and it's like in a fireworks stand there used to be one in new orleans like there in slidell like that and we're not any rbc we're not pomona we're not daytona we do it totally differently um and that's that's what i wanted to do i wanted to in the middle you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and And i think you can have the you know big ones big ones but also just you know filter in the bit the smaller guys too we went to pomona last year not this past january we went the year before we went to pomona and we did a vacation finally did a vacation in san diego but we went to pomona and honestly i was i wasn't that impressed we got in early to go walk around i got a vendor badge and we walked around for a while and I really wasn't impressed. I saw a lot of really cool stuff, but it was already sold before the customers got let in because other vendors purchased those animals from them, especially the knobtails and things like that. But I'd seen most of those vendors. The scale was in, in, insane. That they were, they were busing people from the parking lot to bring people in. Wow. It's like the same thing I've seen at every other reptile show, honestly. You know, And so we kind of get in that trap where we're like, oh, but you know, let's go to Daytona, but – Let's go to Tinley. Like I heard the last Tinley was absolutely insanity. I've never been to Tinley. That's one show I've ever, because I always have a show that weekend, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to show around that weekend or I can't travel and something that we need to actually go just to go experience it. 
And oh. that's just for the hang, just like I'm sure some people go to your shows for. It, I'm not it, absolutely there. There's a lot of people that just come to our shows just to chill out with everybody and see and catch up with people and have a good time. You know, uh, Conroe's just like that. We get people that come from all over just to come meet up there. And it's a safe place for reptile people. You know, you don't get criticized for anything. We, uh, we can get crazy and, you know, talk about genetics for hours and hours and hours and shit, you know. Um, that's just that it's like a safe place, like I said, for people. And so we, that's, that's part of that family atmosphere thing we try to instill. Yeah. I think everyone should go to Timley just for the fact that it is different because it yeah. is more of a meeting more than a show. You almost it's, forget it's that, that, that it's a big, reptile well, show. It's that big, you know, it has those big readers, but it's still, like you said, it's still a hangout. A core group of dudes. Yeah. 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 Um, James Lewis brought up a good question in the chat. He asked, uh, how often do you get hit up by non-reptile slash animal vendors that want to do your show and sell Everything. stuff like kitchen knives? Because that's always a factor okay, so in we me. I'm like, get... I get pissed when I can't vend a show or there's not an opportunity for a snake person to vend a show when you have three kitchen people. Or no, we, like we had that. a dude selling windows and we couldn't get a table. Yeah, like, right. Why, why is it? We know exactly who the show that's doing that is, and and I'm not going to bring up their name, um, but they do it here. Oh, multiple here, there's multiple. Yeah, in Texas, every single show is like that. In Texas, Louisiana, because they can't fill those shows with actual quality vendors, though. But those people contact me every week. We get insurance people. We get people that'll send payments in under a different name, and then show up to show set up, and they're rainbow vacuum cleaner salesmen. And we tell them to piss off and give them their money back. Wow. It happens all the time. Um, it happens all the time. The insurance companies that do some of those shows, the state farms and all that shit, they contact me by email all the time. And then get pissed when we tell them no. Like they say, well, we did your show. No, you've never done my show. I don't I don't want that in the shows. I will take a loss on tables and, and, and not have those people in the shows. The one, the one exception we do make is because it's Cincy. The Cincy products, because... Our, we have reptile breeders, our reptile breeders that actually do reptiles sell Cincy on the side. Right. I don't want that at all. Not, not a problem at all. Um, and a lot of the reptile people use that product. But that's the only, I mean, we have we have people that bring in some jewelry and things like that, but usually it's snakes and lizards and, you know. Right. That stuff doesn't bother me. That stuff is not really bothering me. It's the, it's the kitchen people and the window people. Yeah, the that. windows. We have bathtub people down here. Lots of bathtub Lots of bathtub people, like the walk-in bathtubs. Yeah, they sit mm -hmm. a lot of the shows, but no, they, they won't be at our shows. Never be at our shows. Cajun folks need a lot of bass. I think that's a... <laughs> <laughs> <So>, Sorry, all the Louisianans. The Louisianans. Is that how you say it? No. You're, getting, you're, getting, you're, getting, you're getting the stink eye really good right now. The bowel out. Native New Orleans. Right there. I don't know how to say things anymore. Louisianians. I mean, it's hard, but all right new orleans <laughs> uh, so as far as where you are now obviously you said you're, for the moment you're not really expanding the amount of shows but where do you see herps in the future god that's a tough one um i really want it to be something that i can pass on and let my kids run i want to give my kids and my family a legacy um, I want them to know the importance of why we do it, and and they have the respect for the animals because, like I said, they've grown up uh, doing it. Um, but you know, I, I I see it being sixteen to eighteen shows a year, 
just me and Lori and having, you know, some time in between to actually enjoy ourselves, not 20, um, you know, and, um, but, you know, I know there's going to be a plateau, but we're always, who knows in 10 years, what are we going to be using for advertising? The Facebook? market could be totally different. You don't even really know. So you really don't know. You have to change and adapt to it. Technology changes. You have to adapt to it. You have to try to stay on top of things, but you know, I, I see it sustaining for a while. Like I said, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not I'm not going to come in and advertise in an area and do a show three or four times and then say piss off. I'm going to stop advertising and just break money in at the door. That's just not how I work. I don't think that's ethical in any way. I think if you're going to go into an area and you don't keep promoting the show and making it grow and grow and grow, you're doing a disservice to your vendors and your customers. Um, you're not going to bring in new vendors for the customers to buy from if the other vendors are there pissed off and tell people, that it sucks, you know, that you're not working for them. And that's just how it is. A lot of people lose track of that and they lose sight of that. So I'm, I know I won't lose sight of that because that's just, I, like I said, I still look at it from a vendor's perspective. I'm no longer a vendor. I haven't vended a show in a couple of years, but I still, that was my roots. You know, um, I, I did that more than I, I've actually vended longer than I've been playing on shows so far. So um, I, I'll never lose, lose sight of that. Yeah. And I think it's, it can some ways be much more apparent as a vendor what's going wrong than I'm sure the person who's even putting on the show. Cause yeah. you're probably going 10 different ways with your head cut off kind of, and we're like, Oh my God, there's nowhere for me to plug in. You know, it's so much <laughs> Yeah. I have, I've, had, I've had to move trash cans for vendors before move, move a trash can from one side of the room to the other, instead of them walking to go move it, they've come and found me on the other side of the venue. Hey, can you move the trash can over by my table? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You can't just grab it and move it over? Yeah, I deal with stuff like that all the time. But that's <laughs> what I signed up for. Yeah. Um. So earlier in the show, you talked about you do educational things at your shows. Like, how do you plan how to do that or what to do? Um. Well, we started with um, um, Adrian and Laura Berg. They're, um, they're actually teachers in Katy. Uh, in, in Houston, and uh, they were the ones that, that first joined on with us to do the educational when we started the shows. We actually do most of our areas. We do live rattlesnake demonstrations. Uh, we do native uh, talks. Um, so we have a snake pit that travels around with us, based not with us, but with them. And we would show the difference between non-venomous and venomous snakes and things like that. And then with Ari that does safari tales, she does our Louisiana, most of our Louisiana educational. You know, like I said, she brings out the mammals and things like that, and just talks about different types of animals. And, and um, but our education is key to us. Like, um, it's something that it, it's, I've always, whenever I said I was going to do a show, I was going to have an educational aspect to every single show we did. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a big part of our shows. It's hugely important to me. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we've seen some people try it before and fail. And, you know, we've had some shows where we've had some people had to cancel last minute and things like that. And I've always had some people step up. Like this one, we had a conflict for Lake Charles, and I had another vendor that lives in where does where does he live? Where does Max live? Amarillo, Abilene. 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 Other side of the state that's coming to Lake Charles, Louisiana, just to help us out and do the educational for us this weekend. So, um, you know, it's it that stuff stuff like that's invaluable. It, it helps us so much because you know we, we'll take care of some of his bills and things like that. We'll help him out, but he doesn't have to do that, you know. Uh, and that, and again it wouldn't be like that if we didn't see him as family. Um, you know, he knew we were in a spot and he came and that's what I would do for anyone else, you know? So, 
Um, but the educational thing that, that that's that's how important that the people that vend our shows know it is, and the customers know it is to us too. You know, there, yes, there's a show going on. It's, the show is about selling the animals, but there's a lot of people that come into these shows that are terrified of these animals. They bring they get drugged in by their parents, or their their parents are dragging their terrified kids into these shows. So being able to interact with these animals also it takes off some of the heat of hey, can I hold your ball python? Hey, can I hold your ball python? Hey, can I hold your ball python? When you got three or four of them set up that you can actually go interact with, you know, right? And and I know that because I was, like I said, I was a breeder, but I was the one of the breeders that was always out, like I said, handing people leopard geckos, like hanging off of me and stuff, and handing people geckos. That's just what I. That, that's what I like. So that's yeah. what we do. Like for all of our shows, she just goes. Now we always bring an adult, and she's yeah. just out in front of the table like having kids touch it and 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 at at the end of the day i know vendors complain about that but dude how many of those people end up buying snakes for us or at least remembering us or at least hitting us up after the show saying like thanks or i'm glad i met you guys or something and you get it and that's where that's where i go back to people forget where they started they're like i'm selling the skin of an animal now especially the ball python market that's all that they see I see a skin of an animal and that's what I'm selling. That's not how I am. That's just not how I'm ever going to be. I understand that mentality. I understand that marketing side of it, and that money side of it, that capitalism side of it. But at the same time, it's a living, breathing animal. And if you didn't enjoy it when you got into it, you're in it for the wrong reason. Um, and, I, and I'll stand by that regardless of what anybody says. I love the animals that I've ever worked with. I've loved every single one of them. I know that love, not in love in that sense, you know what I'm saying? But I, I loved every minute of doing it. It was hard hard, hard for me and her and the kids and everybody else to take care of that many animals. And it got really hard. Um, but we loved them. We loved every single animal. We loved doing it. We still, you know, still did it. Um, but if you don't have that interaction, I just don't see, like, if you have a five-year-old kid, like I have a picture on my phone that I still have. It was one of my very first shows. I have a picture of this little girl. She's probably four or five. I have to find that picture. I know it's on my other phone and she's just holding this huge monster leopard gecko in her hands. And I know that changed that, that girl's uh, outlook on reptiles. She had never touched a reptile before, but I know that somewhere down the road, if this was four five, six years ago, maybe I know that she's probably owns reptiles now, regardless if it's a leopard gecko or what, I know that that kind of sparks something in that little girl, you know? And so the people that are like, ah, oh, you can't touch my animals. I, I understand that too. I understand spreading of disease and mites and things like that. I get that. I get that side of it too. So adding the educational aspect to our shows, not only you're teaching people the right way to take care of these animals properly and what to expect and how their natural habitat is, but you're able to interact with them. So we take some of the pressure off those vendors who don't want everybody touching their animals. Like I said, I see both sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's never, and we have corn snake. Keep in mind, right. we don't have something that will bite anyone or do right. anything. I understand crazy. not everyone can, you know. And we try exactly. to have everyone sanitize and do everything yeah. that we can, but we only expose one animal. So we're like, if someone wants to hold the baby, unless they're super serious, then maybe. But exactly. we already have an animal for you to hold, so we don't have to take out individual animals. Yeah. And Yep, absolutely. And, and see, I like that. There's a couple of our vendors that actually take that, that they have one animal that they let everyone handle. That animal's just to show them what it feels like, how it moves, you know, what to expect when you get your, your animal. So, and then, you know, we have the vendors that are pet breeders that breed for pets. And then we have the, the, the vendors that are just breeding for breeders, you know, that, that their prices are high enough that there's not, you're not going to walk in with a 10 year old boy and say he wants a ball python and buy a $10,000 snake. 
you know, it's just not going to happen. Well, I don't know, in some parts of Houston, it might, I mean, honestly, but <clears throat> so we, you know, we see both sides of that. We, we get it. We honestly get it. We, we've been there. We, we had animals that were five, six, $700 geckos. And then we have our $20 and $40 geckos, you know, so we, we get that too. I think we get that more than other people because we sold low end. Cause I do, I do corn snakes. You did leopard geckos. Yeah. We're selling to a lot of pet. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. People are falling in love with those animals and that's going to be the only animal they own until it dies. Like there are a lot of that, that a lot of those geckos that I've sold that I we got pictures back from. That's the only gecko they had for five, six, seven years, you know, and then they'll go buy more or whatever. So yeah, we were selling lower end stuff, but our stuff, like I, like you said, it was it, it's still something that if if some guy walks in and wants to buy a corn snake and he just wants a pet, it's probably not the right if he if he's never had a snake before because he's going to want to hold it all the time, especially if it's a baby, like you're saying. It's probably not best to hand him a baby corn snake because it's going to be flopping around and freaking out and even maybe trying to bite him and he's going to freak his shit and drop it on the floor, right? So I, I get that too. That's the the same exact thing with leopard geckos. You didn't like, I just didn't hand every gecko to every person. You know, I had certain geckos. I was like, this is, this is what you, this is what to expect when it's an adult, you know? Dude, uh, I had, uh, I shared a table with Tim Wallen at White Plains. Um, and he handed me a leopard gecko and I almost let it out of the fucking <laughs> and this, this, this guy was walking by. It literally jumped into his hand. And then I'm like, thank you for picking it up. He's like, I didn't really yeah. have a choice. So I didn't really have a choice. My worst bite from a, from any animal that I've had so far was a damn gargoyle gecko at a show that it was mine that I was trying to sell to a customer, and it split my finger all the way down the side. One of my nicest gargs, big, nice, reticulated male, he just – I was trying to show him – I was actually showing the customer how handleable he was, and he's, like, on my hand and crawling across, and then he just fucked me up, like, took the whole tip of my finger off, and I'm squirting blood, and they didn't buy the gecko. They didn't they, – <laughs> I didn't want to buy him. I don't know why not. I mean, if I saw that, I'd be like, that's the one I want. You know, I'm just stupid like that. <laughs> like, oh, it bit the shit out of you. Yeah, that's the one I want, you know. But, yeah, right. I don't even think I've ever seen a gargoyle bite gecko bite. Right. On, but... yeah. Toke's, Toke's bite weren't that bad. Like, it was crazy. So, damn it, I had a question. I just forgot. <laughs> oh. And it was totally not exactly uh, on the same topic. I was going to do our final question. So oh, I was going to let you it. ask a question so I can remember the one I just Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, animals. Come here. Animals, that's your question. Animals. Come wow, good job. Come here. Come here. Hold on. I'm going to make Lori come get me. Oh, just say okay. hi. Your question. So did you think? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I remember. I'm talking shit the whole time. Hi. No, you have to come say hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> That's it. Just so we have a face with the voice yeah. in the background. Yeah, you saw her karaoke. I'm sure. I mean, well, that was she was kind of. Well, you weren't that bad that time. Different form than now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, what was your animal? What was the question about animals? Yeah. So typically when someone goes from a thousand animals to just a few, <laughs> I'm sure things, you know, you have a little bit more diversity, maybe rare animals. What kind of animals do you have at the moment? Um, I'm really, I've really been working on, I have um, a group of uh, uh, Kaiser Iranian newts that I've been working on and trying to get to reproduce. Uh, I think there's less than a thousand in the wild right now. Um, and I, got in touch with some of the people from the, we went to when we went to Pomona actually we went to the San Diego Zoo and saw theirs on display and they're like monsters and I'm like what in the hell am I doing wrong these things are like four years old and they're not that big 
And so I've, I've gotten in touch with some of those the guys from San Diego Zoo and figured out what, you know, how to work on that. So I'm hoping to get those to reproduce. I've got um, a rough knobtail amyice um, um, that I'm trying to breed this year, um, uh, prehensile tail skinks, uh, carusha zebratas. Uh, I bred blue tongues for a long time. I was producing um, P-positive caramel albinos, northerns, um, for a long time and didn't even know what I was doing. Uh, I had reached out to Ray Gershwin in Florida and sent him pictures, and he said, yeah, that's what those are. Where did you pick them up, or did you pick them up at a show? Actually, my, my, a buddy of mine that wasn't even into reptiles was working a show with me one time and walked to a table, and it was an old Glades Herp table. This was years ago. And pick this male blue tongue up and i'm like that's not normal like something's weird with that he bought it for like a hundred bucks and um he ended up proving out and, and i produced hats and things like that so it was insane he's like i, I got i'll have to post some pictures of him eddie he's like hypo colored it's crazy so a little bit of that i'm actually wanting to get an i have an adult male uh, new guinea frilled and I'm, I'm going to try to get a female. I want to try to see about breeding them in captivity. And I have some little micro gecko species I worked with. I used to work with um, Hemidactylus prashadi and these little fish scale geckos and viper geckos. She has a male viper gecko named Charcoal. That's like her, that's her thing. And then we have tortoises and turtles and aquatic turtles now. I got the Krebs River turtle that I just set up. That was pretty neat. Um, so I have little things here and there, you know. Um, the Ackies, yeah, the Ackies have been getting, I've gotten into really big lately. Um, I got a really nice pair of red Ackies right now, and hopefully I'll have them breeding next year. So little projects, a couple things here and there, and that's it. I feel like you shot low with your original number, because I think you just named a lot more than like the yeah, 19. Now that I'm thinking about it, I probably, have, I mean, shit, I probably have oh. 20 turtles, and I have a whole backyard full of box turtles. See, Texas is weird about box turtles. You can't sell them. Um you cannot sell native box turtles in Texas. Um, and now the paperwork, they don't, they don't um, recognize subspecies. So even Easterns that are in Texas, technically you can't sell. Um, so I get our vet's office and our local animal control. Every time someone rescues a box turtle off the road, guess where it goes? It goes to my house. So I have turtle pens in my backyard and just has box turtles just propagating all over my, my yard. I find them. I find them when I go winterize. I usually find babies crawling around, and I take them and set them up in 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 their in the house until I get them large enough, and then they go back outside. So I just have a herd of box turtles in my backyard. Well, that's pretty awesome. And I was yeah. going to ask. That, yeah, that was that was Lori's first reptile was box turtles when she was a kid. Oh, I wish we could have heard Lori's story too. Maybe you guys can interview her. No, 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 no. Melissa is just always so concerned about her dream is having couples on the podcast like every single week. Couples. <laughs> yeah, we, we can have like two. I'm excited. On okay, she said that if you guys want to do something later on, if you want to do a couples session, we, she said she would do it. We'll do it in person in. <laughs> Yeah, you guys come to Conroe. Do it to Conroe. Like there's a like, chance we're like, like, like there's a chance we're going to Houston anytime soon. <laughs> you can come to New Orleans though. Come to the New Orleans show. Actually, that is an actual idea. Because and then because the Houston thing, she wouldn't be on board, even though she lived in Houston for a very short and period. And I hated every second. But I hate, I hate Houston too. 
but New Orleans, she could use any excuse to go. So. Now we do the show in Slidell too. It's you know where Slidell is at. <laughs> yeah, but do I want to go to Slidell? It's Slidell's crazy now. Like Slidell's an insane show. It's one of our biggest shows now. But do I want to go to Slidell? <laughs> no. We, hey, it's, it's, it's barely in the North Shore. It's at the North Shore Harbor Center, right on Lake on the lake. <laughs> but yeah, the October the October New Orleans, we're doing a big Halloween theme. Uh, we're gonna have the vendors dress up, and we're gonna have tables decorated, and you know, the kids kind of come in and do candy and co- and uh, you know costume competitions and things like that. So we make it fun, you know. Interesting. See, that's nice. Hamburg and Oaks are never going to do anything cool like that. (laughs) Well, now you're naming names, man. Well, that's only two. I have options. (laughs) The two are never going to. We actually have vendors. We have vendors that we have a couple of vendors that do those shows. Um, Ross at Dragon Cages. Uh, You know him. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Reptiles and Racks, Jungle Jewel Reptiles. He does Baltimore. Yes, every Baltimore show. He's he builds PVC cages and racks. Gotcha. Um, he's the long-haired hippie guy with a cowboy hat. A little short. He looks like a hippie. He's got long gray hair, mustache. Got a cowboy mustache. You'd recognize him if you saw him. But yeah, so he he comes and does. He actually bends our shows, but he lives in North Carolina, South Carolina, always in North Carolina. But he does all those all those shows up there. Wow, that's a long drive. And yes. I guess we got sidetracked, but do you keep some of your animals, your four-legged animals, uh, lizards, stuff like that? Do you keep them outside part of the year? Uh, I did with our when we had a big, um, big male iguana. I had a big outdoor enclosure that I built, um, and then I have um, we have tortoises and turtles and stuff outside. I have um, my buddy has I, I have some melodistic lacerta that I got, and he's had them in his house. He's kept them outside for a long time, but. Some of my other stuff is just too small right now to even think about putting out. Like, I have some salves and things like that. They're just not, you know. And I have beaded lizards, but they stay lock, lock and key. You know, that's my only. Definitely way over nineteen. They keep yeah. on work. Yeah. I probably have a lot more. Well, I, and I've been good about not bringing stuff home until the last Corpus show when I got the, rib, the Australian river turtle. I'm like, I have to bring that home. Oh, yeah, I did get a trio of Fimbriatus. Yeah, I have Fimbriatus, Europlatus Fimbriatus, a breeding trio of those. Yeah, so I got those two. <laughs> so I have, but I have small groups of shit. I don't have like. What? That was fish. That was fish for the tank. That was fish for the turtle tank. She said, something came in the mail. I'm like, no, that was, yeah. that was guppies for the turtle tank. <laughs> so do you usually end up. I mean, you said that obviously you don't look at king snake and fawn anymore, and why should you? <laughs> obviously, you're at a show almost every weekend. Yeah. Um, so you pick up most of your animals, all your animals, at your show or through your show through vendors. Pretty much. Like yeah, pretty much from our vendors. Yeah, if I if I if I get time, if I ever get time to actually walk around, that's the other thing. If I ever got time to actually walk around the show and ever look at every single table, I probably have more more than I do. Uh, I don't really have a lot of time at the shows, and Lori barely ever gets to walk around the shows at all. Uh, I have a whole army of tortoises if she was able to do that. So, you know, I, if I see something that really I haven't seen in, in a while or, you know, I have to have it, then I usually get it, and then I then I tell her. Um, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So usually I get it, and then I bring it up and set it down behind the desk, and I'm like, hey, look what I got. And she's like, bitch, so. The turtle, actually, though, I went and showed it to you. I'd already bought it, but I went and showed it to her. I'd already bought it, and I went and showed it to her. And she goes, oh, that's that's actually pretty cool. So, 
you know, she was on board with that. So, Hey man, that's your business. You know, you got to yeah. keep on acquiring animals. That's yeah. I love, I mean, that's, that's why we do it. We love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. I love reptiles. I love all animals period, but you know, reptiles are, are, are something that I've always stuck to and I've always been around and always kept, always cared for and tried to learn about and research and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's in my blood. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, what I live for, honestly. Now it is really what I live for. True. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I really do. I get to see, I get, and I get to go to these really cool places and like the people that have private zoos that, that you know, that set up and, and our educational people and get to see their setups and their animals and get to spend time with those people. And I made some amazing connections. We've made some lifelong friends in this whole thing. Um, and I wouldn't change that for the world. The hard work's worth it. And, and we're, we're, like I said, we're trying to get people on board with educating the customers and, and not just being a flesh peddling show. So I'm, I think I'm trying to do something right. I don't know if I'm succeeding the way I want to yet. I'm trying to get there. Um, we are. We're trying to change the way things are done. Um, and slowly but surely, I think there's been a, you know, we, we're trying to change it and it's getting there. And I, I think we're on the kind of the dawn of a new generation in our hobby in the way that the newer kids coming up are so serious about different ways of keeping and learning everything about the animals. And like, honestly, the questions we get most in depth and like, we have like a 16 year old coming around with a notebook, taking notes on what we oh, say. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're getting more and more serious and expect more out of you too. Absolutely. And, and, and the customers that come in are, are way more educated than we were when we were shopping for animals. I used to wear, I mean, I used to sit around pet shops and look at books like, it wasn't the internet when I was there. We would buy shit at White Plains that we didn't know what it was, and the vendor. <laughs> That's a lot. We I, we've seen that at shows, like you know, we we've seen that at shows. So, yeah, people are getting more educated, and there and and the technology behind keeping reptiles is changing and, and evolving. It's slower than it should be, but it's getting there, and, and um, it's still kind of archaic as far as how we keep, but we're learning more and more and more about things. You know, right now the big buzzword is, is bioactive and everybody's gone. I've been keeping dirt in my enclosure since I was eight years old. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's like the, we, we started there. The the hobby started there and then it went yeah, sterile. Exactly. You know, yeah. It started there and we'd get, we'd get roly polies in the yard and throw them in our enclosure. And that was our isopods, you know? So it's getting back to that. And, and I understand that it's, it's, a, it's, it's all a cycle. The whole reptile industry is a complete cycle. It's always going to be cyclical. And then you can go see Andy and set up a whole enclosure with dirt and magnets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see Andy and set up an enclosure with dirt and everything else. Yeah, yeah. He does some really cool planted bibs and stuff. So, so obviously we want to let you get to your fun time here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, do you have anything you want to leave the listener with, or anything you want to get out there? Um. No, I mean just that you know we we're not. <laughs> I hope I'm coming off as genuine because I really do. I really do love this. Um, it's changed my entire life doing the shows. It really has, but I'm learning as we go and we're learning and we're learning how vendors react and we're learning what customers wants and needs are. And we really are doing this for the betterment of the hobby. Um, you know, we've made mistakes along the way. We're not perfect. We've, we've done some stupid things, but we've learned from those mistakes and we've moved on. Um, we're not trying to take over the world. We're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to run anybody out of business or anything like that. We're trying to do us. We're trying to focus on what makes us different and and keep growing and growing and growing. And we had some 
we had some naysayers from the beginning, from the top, people that you all, you guys know, they were putting us down for they shit on us too. Don't worry, but you know what? It makes, it makes you stronger. It, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And we, we keep, we keep overcoming and we keep driving forward and we keep um, pushing ahead and, eventually it'll come to the point where we hope that most of the shows will will catch on and say look it's time to stop the shit it's time to stop letting those people get away with this um there's some big names in the industry that get away with shit at some of the biggest shows that i would never have at my show and i just don't understand i understand that they're trying to make money on the tables but it's just not worth your morals or your ethics or your business practice or the person next to you's business practice to let that keep going for the health of the animals, period. It's just not worth it. Um, and until people more more like we're, we're doing, take a stand to that and tell vendors, you're done. You're not going to vend our shows. We don't need you here. I'll take a loss. I don't care. I lose money anyway when I open the doors. Like, I don't care if I've got one more table, but it's if it's your crap, it's not going to be here. Um, so that's the point across is we're, we try, we say we're revolutionary, revolutionizing reptile shows is our tagline. Um, but we're trying to do a movement here. We're trying to make sure that everybody knows that we're here for the vendors and the customers, but the animals come first. If we don't, if we don't promote the health and quality of the animals, then the shows are going to get all the AR rights, animal rights activist groups and the PETAs and shit like that. They're going to keep coming after us. If we don't work to make it better where it's more presentable and we educate people, then it's all going to be taken away from all of us. We're not going to have anything left. Absolutely. I want to add to that, but Melissa's going to get mad at me. So if anyone wants to reach out, whether to be a vendor or to just see show dates or something like that, where can they go? Just go to herpshow.net. H-E-R-P-S-H-O. Oh, it you're going to have to do it that cut out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> herpshow.net. H-E-R-P-S-H-O-W.net. There you go. All of our show dates, all of our locations, our vendor registration, our rules, everything. And for us, PorCityPythons.com, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm going to do something new right now. If you are listening Uh-oh. to the podcast, <laughs> can you, could you please review us or like give us stars? I want to see if it does anything on iTunes or wherever. I was about to say, wait, listening. I didn't know you could do that on YouTube, but you're talking about iTunes. I mean, you can give us stars on YouTube, too. I don't think they do anything. I, don't think, I didn't even know there's stars. No, YouTube. no, there aren't. Okay. PortCityPythons.com. If you want to, please, please, please check out. So I'm giving people stuff to do now. I know. If you could please check out our fundraising shirt, all the money going to conserve indigos in the wild. And I'm really pumped to be able to hopefully Give send back. over some money. So please help us help them. Cool. Okay. And other than that, what else do we have? We have a new video out. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, you're already here. You'll figure it out, right? If you're listening in the downloads, they don't. Ooh, so also if you're listening on live, we stream live on YouTube, but we also have downloadable versions on Spotify. And wherever podcasts are found. (laughs) And Uh, that's really it, guys. Yeah, thank you, Sean and Lori, (laughs) for coming on. Um, (laughs) And talking to us for two hours. Absolutely. Uh, No problem. I got to get one of those shirts, too. Get one of those shirts. Thanks, man. We would enjoy that and I would appreciate it.